so I want to show you guys the two Saints Row 2 characters that I made. Okay. <laughs> I think I've seen these okay. on Twitter. So, so... <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Why am I looking at... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> everybody to episode 36 of random encounter the rpg fan podcast i'm your host robert steinman pale robbie on the boards fresh from my return from the lands the frozen lands of skyrim oh no fucking no shut up steven <laughs> that's steven myrink everybody yep that's me uh taylor's on the boards thank, also thank you uh chastising him was uh this was john mccarroll i am junior news editor <laughs> he got demoted <laughs> and the man who had the balls to say what he really thought of skyrim kyle e miller same thing on the boards cool cool so we're here to talk about one of the biggest games of the year 11 11 11 has passed and the elder scrolls 5 skyrim is fresh upon us everybody seems to like it right i do yes i like it i, I like it just fine it's kyle Kyle hates it. He gave it an 88. What a bastard. I know. You know that's like the done? worst game ever. Oh my god, he didn't give it 170%. Did you guys watch that Mega64 video about the reviews? No, I still haven't seen it. Oh, it's so funny. What were you thinking, an 8.5? Do you know what you did to the meta score? <sighs> I haven't gotten any hate mail yet. <laughs> any well, hate mail yet. I think you have a perfectly well uh well reasoned okay. and well supported argument well kyle tell us a little bit about your trip into skyrim you got to play it before everybody else so you got to tell us what you thought of it and uh give us like a little overview yeah, tell us about your experience with the game well as i said in my review the beginning left me very apathetic um i don't i'm not a big oblivion fan i think it's very overrated and very boring um so when i came into skyrim and I had this introductory sequence. I was just like, here it is again, you know. It's going to be the same thing. But after about an hour and a half or two hours, I started to get more into it. And for about 30 to 40 hours, I had a lot of fun. Which, I mean, that that's good. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that, it, one that's thing... That's more than most games. I know. A lot I, of games, maybe. And I don't want it to sound like we're going to be down on the game because I think we do have legitimate criticisms. But still, in terms of the amount of content that you're getting for a game, like – yeah, and, and, and not just that, but the breadth of it too. Like, Oh my god. You know, <laughs> imagine the, the, the insanity of balancing a game where you could do – you have like a hundred different ways you can approach – you know, a cave, you know, you can do it stealth, you can do it with a bow, you can do it with magic, you can do it with, you know, weapons and... You know, there there are a few games that are more open than this. You know, the only examples that come to mind are, like, super scribble knots. Yeah. And I think and that, that, uh... That's what makes the game so special, is, like, you have... We're, oh, before we start, like, getting heavy into the game, we're really gonna avoid spoilers. So, please don't worry, we're not going to go into, like, big quest details or anything like that. We're really going to talk about mechanics. We're not going to give spoiler stories. We we, we won't uh, story spoilers. We won't be doing you, that. Yeah, I mean, after forty born. hours. 
Oh, no. They just told you that in the first <laughs> Dovahkiin. Dovahkiin. Your Thune. My what? It's showing? What? <laughs> it took me a couple minutes to realize what they were talking about. But uh, I have 40 hours in the game, and I've done two story quests. No, three. <laughs> so, I that's... mean... That's what's so special about the game is like uh, one of the big draws of the Elder Scrolls is you have like guilds, you have side quests, you have the main story. And like each of the like multiple guilds that you can join has their own side story that is completely separate from the main narrative. And most of those things like you can spend 10 hours worth of gameplay with one guild. That is considered a full $60 priced game these days is a 10 hour game. So in terms of the amount of content that you can get, if you want a game that's going to keep you busy for a long time, you really can't go wrong with Skyrim. And it's not like it's, again, it's not like it's crappy either. It's, yeah, you that's know. what we're going to talk about. So John <laughs> we, we, we let Kyle we let Kyle monologue for like thirty seconds before we went off on tangents. Let's I'm sorry, continue. I'm sorry. It's like the game. The game has ADD, <laughs> or at least the game shows me that I have yeah, ADD. If you, if you would have let me talk, I would have, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I would have told you what would happen what happened after about forty hours. Because the first forty hours, I was really enjoying it, but then I started to realize that everything is kind of the same. It gets very repetitive. The you know the traps that you see in the beginning are really exciting, and the puzzles are unique. And you think that it's the level design is very improved over Oblivion, which it is. But later the quests start to repeat, things start to get really repetitive. And if I have to go fetch some random item from another Nordic tomb, I'm gonna <laughs> just maul everyone. Well, now, one thing I want to bring up there is there there's the quest system in Skyrim that gives it an infinite number of quests. Um, yeah. What is the name of it? And Radiant, I said the Radiant, Radiant, Radiant Historia, yeah. something like that. <laughs> Where, like that you know... <laughs> With, with that system, you know, maybe the, the, that's likely the kind of quest that it produced where it's like, oh, hey, I would like the inferior boots. Go get them for me. And you're like, oh, I found your inferior boots. And they're like, congratulations. You, here, are some, here are some strong armor of conjuration. Yeah, and the game does a pretty good job of keeping those kind of fetch questy, find my pants things. It does a pretty good job of keeping those under like the miscellaneous category in your quest yeah. log. And meanwhile, the major quests are named. Although some right. major, although some major quests begin as miscellaneous quests. So, like for example, the one mm-hmm. guild that everybody wants to join, the Mages Dark, College. Uh, shut up, it, the Dark Brotherhood. The that companions. starts off. Oh, for God's sake. Am I the only evil one here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hey, the hey, you know what? I, I I know we said we're gonna spoil story, but it, it, I know where you're going, John. Don't spoil but, anything. I haven't gotten. But that. it's important mechanically. Okay. Like you know, it, it you're a werewolf if you join the companions. You know how is that not evil? Okay, that's a little evil. So. Uh, All right. So Kyle, you, you you spent like forty hours with the game, and I, I I've spent about thirty, and I I found myself starting to really agree with Kyle's review the further I got into the game where I started out I was really blown away by the freedom by everything that was going on and then as we kept going I I just started getting more and more bored and more and more like I'm doing the same thing over again I'm I'm talking to someone I'm fetching something I'm completing a dungeon I come back I complete the quest moving on and it just it started to grate on me a little bit and I realized that I've yeah. been playing I have played four of these types of games in the past five years four and what's and what's interesting is that you know through 
well, you're including uh, Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, which, Fallout and Fallout, what, Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas, which are similar but different. Yeah, well, I mean, they, you know, and and three of those were Bethesda uh, game studios. Though I thought Oblivion came out in 04, or 06, I'm sorry. Um, I was that long ago. Yeah, that would be five years ago. I said four oh. games in five years because I played it oh. on the PS3. Oh right, I'm an idiot. Yeah, it's okay. I I have to deal with it all the time. What, me being an idiot? No, I'm kidding, dude. Gosh. <laughs> I was just being a dick. Come on now. <laughs> He's mean to me all the time. Come on. I, I didn't hear him being mean to you. That was just brutal. Yeah, he really wasn't being mean at all. I feel like a dick now. I'm sorry, John. Hug? No. Okay, fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's been four games of this type in five years, and I'm starting to feel... There are, two, there, there are two Gundam games released in Japan every year. Well, I know, I know, but I'm I'm feeling the fatigue. It's like, uh, although Skyrim is technic, from a technical standpoint, it's a huge improvement over Oblivion and Fallout 3. Like, the game plays fairly well. It looks very nice. I mean, you, you don't have quest chains breaking left and right. You know, everything's pretty stable. And from a technical aspect, the game's phenomenal. But you are kind of still doing the same thing that you've been doing since Oblivion. So there's still a lot of mundane content like bandits. Look, (laughs) lots and lots of bandits. And there are lots of brooms, lots and lots of brooms. I love that Penny Arcade comic. Quite a few brooms. I read somewhere that the bandits actually outpopulate the (laughs) other people. (laughs) And I think it's true. (laughs) No, it is true. Which, I mean, the cities feel sort of alive most of the time, but... Like dudes pull out hunks of bread and start chomping down while they're talking to you. Oh my god, what is that? <laughs> I'm like, how rude, I'm sitting here talking to you <laughs> and you're just eating bread. They don't offer you any. You dick. They're sitting there going, okay, you're you just... carrying like an entire feast in your pockets, alright? That's all I got. Though, I, I do find it interesting how it's very easy in towns to just take things. Yeah. And it's like things that should be identified as items that would be stolen are not. Where you like go to the blacksmith and you're like, holy crap, there's like 15 steel ingots. Thank you. Well, as soon as you, <laughs> yeah. as soon as you, uh, as soon as you link up with one of the guilds, like you're considered part of that guild and you get access to almost all their stuff. And like the thief in me, as soon as I got to the mages college, was like, ka-ching! Dude, that's my thing is that game puts you in a really weird moral position because like I've been playing like I can't I can't name a game off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, I, I you know, I usually want to play like the nice guy, and, like help people. And I'm sitting there like doing these you know quests to like help people out and find their dog and find all this stuff. And then it's like go and knock over this house, steal this stuff, smash this guy's vase, do this. And then I walk in well, and I'm like, ooh, there are things well, here that I need and nobody's going to notice if I steal them. Yoink. I feel like what's in- <laughs> Go ahead, John. I, go ahead. I, I think that's actually a main place where where the Elder Scroll games in general fail. Yeah, they that, don't they don't they, engage you emotionally. Yeah, like it feels like the game wants you to play every single guild, and those guilds in some cases are like you know counterintuitive. Well, when I was the um, no, that's I'm glad you guys are pointing this out because I had the same problem when I was playing Oblivion, where you know I played Oblivion once. I played one character the whole way through. I started off as a dark elf. I think I was a vampire within like three hours of playing the game somehow. (laughs) And so I was a vampire 
Dark Brotherhood Master, Thieves Guild Master, Compa- uh, uh, Fighters Guild Master, and I was also a Night White Crusader of the Nine. Like I was the holiest figure in all of Tamriel, but and I was you put also that blanket on your head. And you were the freaking the Gray Fox. Yeah, or I was the Gray Fox, or I was the Dark Brotherhood listener, or I was you know the embodiment of pure evil, rage, hate. I was basically myself, and it and it was just. Don't forget you were also the Prince of Insanity. Yes. But uh, but then you take a game like Fallout 3, and I think Fallout 3 forces you to play multiple characters because you can't see everything when you play Fallout 3. I, I must have run six different characters in Fallout 3, and each one all the way to completion, like maybe 30 or 40 hours of gameplay for each one. But meanwhile, Oblivion, I played that for maybe 100 hours, but I played as one single character, and I never felt like I was having an impact on that world. Yeah, I think... Oh, go ahead. I think Bethesda and maybe even I would argue that The Elder Scrolls isn't about that. It's about something different. I would agree. Yeah, which I was actually about to say, you know, before Fallout 3 came out, all the Fallout fans were up in arms saying, oh, it's Oblivion with guns and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really not because I feel like the drive of Fallout is very different from the drive of Skyrim. Skyrim, it's, yeah, all right, here's some stuff. Go look around. Fallout, you you know, you have a giant wasteland, but you have a legitimate goal and you have fairly, mm-hmm. you know, elaborate quests and all that. And, you know, you have the karma system, you know, that they, they did that intentionally, you know, to make sure that it was actually a Fallout game and not, you know, Oblivion with guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Skyrim to... is about embracing the world and just doing everything you possibly can or anything that you want. Uh, go collect, yeah, where... go hoard this one item or kill everyone you can. You know, you can do anything. You can do everything. And I think the, the question that I have is, as I've played the least out of, of uh, Skyrim, out of all of these guys, is do, does Skyrim ever make you make any kind of serious choices like you have to make in Fallout? No. I, no. I think I made a couple of choices, but nothing huge. Almost well, none. You know, you get Fallout 3 where within the first five hours of the game you have to decide if you want to detonate a nuclear weapon. Yeah, and then the game never really has you make that big of a choice again. Like, that, that was kind of the deceiving thing about Fallout 3 was it, well, it didn't it didn't do that big of a choice. You know, I, I don't You're necessarily right. think – I mean, th- that was a big world-affecting choice, but Fallout had you making karmic choices quite a bit. Right, it's p- choosing who to side with and that sort of thing. And I, I think, think New that's, Vegas did a great job with that. Right, and that and that's – again, I, I keep who saying did? I want to keep – New Vegas. New oh. Vegas did a better job with that. I think that – Kyle hit the nail right on the head is that Skyrim and Oblivion are very much like – I tried to explain it to one of my buddies when I was playing Oblivion uh, back when I was still in college, and I was like, this is like having your own personal dungeon master just chained up in your like in your room, and they can just make stories for you to go about and play D&D, and that's awesome and fine. But there's also like a lack of something. There's a lack of real immediacy and – impact on the world and as kyle was saying i don't think that's the point of elder scrolls but it it, can i just finish up the point real quick it it just it's hard because you go from fallout 3 where you felt like you were really making huge decisions like when i left the republic of dave in fallout 3 everyone was dead i didn't complete that chest chain uh, that quest chain i walked into there like the joker and just lit everyone on fire and walked out and so i never got to complete that 
Meanwhile, in Skyrim, I'm not going to give it away, but at the end of one of the guild lines, you you do one of the most impactful things that you can do on this universe from a storytelling perspective. You do something that should change everything, and all it does is it amounts to a couple of guards in a town go, oh my god, this happened. Yeah. Moving on. Well, one thing that I found interesting about the lack of immediacy is is I, I'm going to talk about what I've seen in the game. I've only played you know 10 hours of this because I've been playing other things. And I got my first story quest like three hours and they're like, oh, my God, there's a dragon attacking whatever tower. And then I went and did seven hours of side quests. That's exactly yeah. what I did. I, mean, I put 25 <laughs> hours in the game and then I was like, oh, man, I can't fight dragons and learn shouts. I guess I should go and do that quest. <laughs> and that's what's that's the fun part about this game. I said it before. This is an ADD game where like you're on like a path and you're like, I'm going to go do this. And then like you walk into town, you overhear a conversation and you're like, you know what? I'm kind of interested in finding out more about that. And that's when Skyrim is awesome. It, it does a great job of creating this sense of place, making you feel like you're in a living, breathing world and that you're interacting with characters. I think the problem is that if you try to go a layer deeper with that, that we've kind of seen with like making relationships in Dragon Age or Mass Effect or having a huge impact on the world like Dragon Age or Fallout 3. That's when Skyrim, it, it starts to become more you're watching the world rather than participating in it. You know, and that's not a bad thing, though. It's not a before, bad thing. Before the podcast, I was talking about Saints Row 2 and uh, and how it's kind of like the the essence of what people want to go and do with sandbox games and that okay i'm just gonna go do whatever kind of crazy crap i want and i think that's what skyrim does well which i think everyone agrees with it's yeah. it's okay you know what? if i want to go do my story quest i can but if i want to go kill 80 vampires holy crap there's a cave right over there yeah <laughs> and I, that was the other thing about this game was um whereas in fallout 3 i really enjoyed walking and just finding trouble I started doing that with Skyrim, and I started to get really bored because it is just like dungeon after dungeon. Admittedly, the dungeon design is far, far better than Oblivion. I mean, these dungeons all look better. They, it, you have very little copy and paste as opposed to you know Oblivion and Fallout 3 where you're basically in the same office building and or ruined cave over and over again. But whereas in Fallout 3, there was always like an interesting story at the end of that dungeon, at the end of that you know gas station uh fake shelter or whatever i started to get really bored with skyrim when i was playing it walking the earth and i started to enjoy it more when i started playing it like oblivion where i just fast traveled from quest objective to quest objective i found the See, same I... thing because yeah. most of the locations are tied to quests so oh, you yeah. go into a place and there's nothing there or there'll, there'll be some enemies and maybe an item that you have no idea what it does a key item because you haven't discovered the quest so it's not – it's pointless to go there before you have the quest. And that kept happening to me. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to go find some quests instead. Do you know why I didn't like wandering around in Skyrim? Hmm. Bears. Oh <laughs> my god. This so – Talk about the combat. Oh, do we have to? Let's just talk about bears. Okay. Um, All right, well, bears. Well, first Beats. off, before we talk about the actual combat mechanics, I do find it interesting that they made such a big deal out of these dragon battles. 
first off, the drag the first time you fight a dragon, you're like, oh my god, this is epic, this is ridiculous. I am fighting a, I am now on top of the dragon and stabbing it, and then you realize that every dragon battle is going to play out the same effing way over and over. And these dragons, I'm sorry, are giant pussies. I mean, these dragons are not that tough. When a bandit chieftain or a bear is more difficult to kill than a dragon, we have a problem. There are more. There are tougher dragons. I have yet to run into one. I ran into what was called a blood dragon, and I just thought he bled more. Are there, are, are there tougher, tougher bears? I hope to God not. <laughs> <laughs> Those bears are ridiculous, man. But but no, like, was anybody else really underwhelmed by the dragons? I, the first few dragon fights are easier, but I did find, especially like I was playing a little bit yesterday too, they definitely get harder. Because the thing is, the dragons don't scale with your level. So if you show up in a town, you know, with a quest chain that's below you, like, you know, if you skip the main story and level up and you go to it, they have a scale, but it's only to a certain extent. So it's going to be really easy. But, you know, you'll run into dragons in the wild that are actually fairly deadly. Okay, because my horse has kicked the crap out of about five dragons so far. I just sat back and watched my horse just mule kick a dragon into oblivion. See see what I did there? <laughs> see yeah, what, I, see what I did there? <laughs> I think the, you probably haven't <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle, talk. No. <laughs> John made it funny. John made it funny. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. Um, what was I going to say? We're you not. probably haven't fought the harder dragons. There's like two types that are harder than the blood dragon. So Okay, well. I just found them really frustrating, and I don't think the combat system can handle them because it gets, especially in a town, like the dragon would not come down to the ground. Well, if it's in yeah. a, if it's the in dragon a ends up getting killed by the townsfolk. Yeah. Like, they just shoot him with, like, a million arrows. Like, <laughs> the dragon lands, and he's just, like, a pincushion. It's like, oh, God, a terrified dragon! Shoot arrows! <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, that wasn't so bad. Everything's fine. We're good here. Everything's fine. Don't worry. We filled him full of lead. And, I, well, now I think we can talk about the combat, which... The combat was the biggest thing I was worried about going into, uh, going into Skyrim. Admittedly, it's much better than Oblivion. I mean, it's much, much better. And I started out with, uh, you know, dual-wielding magic, and I really enjoyed it, and then I started to get bored with it. And then I started going around sneaking with a sword and stabbing people in the back, and I enjoyed it, and then I started to get bored with it. And then I started doing archery, and I started getting bored with it. And it just – it seems like it it is a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Go ahead, Steven. We talked a lot about that, too, before the show. And I really just, like, I know you got bored of it. And I know it's certainly not up to the par of, you know, you know some other action easy, RPGs. Easy, easy, but, but, you know, I have yet to get bored of the combat. No, the melee combat's not super engaging. And it feels kind of like a disconnect between you and your dude. But the archery is, is fairly fun. And I still have a blast with the magic, you know, shooting ice shards at people and whatnot. You know, I... Good? Go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, that's pretty, that's pretty much what I had. <laughs> well, one thing that, that I think makes Skyrim less engaging in regards to its combat is that your ability to fight is less focused on your actual skill, which I know is something that Rob values highly and more on what you've got and what your statistics and skills are. Yeah, it's it's all numbers. It really is like at at one point in the game when you join the Dark Brotherhood, you get these gloves 
that give you times two backstab damage. If you get your sneak level high enough, you do a 15 times sneak attack with a dagger. Simple math. I have a times 30 sneak attack. That has nothing to do with me as a player. I just sneak behind someone and they die. Like, I could probably sneak attack a dragon and kill it in one shot, which would be really cool. I really hope I get the opportunity to do that. But it, it, it's all numbers going on in the background, and I think by trying to make Skyrim look more like an action RPG, all they've done is they've just made that disconnect bigger. Uh- and one thing that I find disappointing about uh, – and this, this goes for Oblivion too. This is going all the way back to things that I loved in Morrowind is that um, when my dad and I would play, we would, we would each play. And we would try and do the craziest stuff imaginable with uh, enchantments. And we would twink our characters and see who could do you know the more amazing thing. You know, when you have a a pair of boots that makes you levitate and move at, you know, 15 times the normal rate. (laughs) Remember that? You know, and you're like, screw fast travel. I'm just going to fly there. Actually, I I made a really cool thing in Morrowind. uh, And I can't remember if I made it legitimately or if I hacked the game. But I made made it so I got this thing that made your acrobatics like 5,000. And so I would jump, and I would jump so high that I could zone, and, you know, I could jump two zones with a jump. And then I maxed out, and then I got a spear, and I made myself a spear master, and I named my character Kane. <laughs> and I just jumped around stabbing people with a spear, and it was awesome. And that's all I did for, like, ten hours was just jump from person to person stabbing them. <laughs> that That's the kind of thing that I miss in, in Skyrim and, and even in Oblivion. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think that when... When you try to play this game with the melee combat, I mean, all you're doing is just waggling your sword in front of the enemy and just watching the red bar disappear. Like, if you if you try to be tactical, if you try to, like... It, it just feels messy and clunky, and it, admittedly, the magic and archery, they're both way better. And I would recommend that if you really want to play this game and get the most out of the combat, you try to stay away from melee. At least I didn't find it engaging. But see, I think that's why I had I've been having more fun with the combat than you because I've swung a sword maybe four times. And you know, Rob and I were talking about uh, before the podcast about games that did melee combat incredibly well from a first-person view, and uh, he said Condemned and Bioshock, and I said Condemned and Chronicles of Riddick. And I think the reason that both of those games succeed better than Skyrim does is not because Skyrim is doing something wrong or because the controls are bad, or, or any other aspect of it. It's because in, uh, you know, you, you get Riddick where you can kill any enemy in two or three hits with your melee weapon. Oh, uh, yeah. And you and, can do the same in Condemned. And in Skyrim, you just kind of keep slashing them until they hopefully die. Exactly. It's not that the combat is bad, per se. It's that... The melee People combat wears out as welcome because it becomes repetitive. I can see – no, that's actually a really good point. That might be it because I think that in Condemned, at least, when when you are in melee combat, like a bum can hit – can kill you very fast if you start playing stupidly. And you know the, the hits are very powerful and very rewarding, and I think John might have just gotten it because it, when you go up against a bandit chieftain, it always comes back to the bandit chieftain because that had to be one of the most ridiculous enemies I fought in the game. Although admittedly, it was really awesome when I shouted him off of a eight-story building and just oh. watched him fall to his death. 
Man, the shouts are awesome in that. That game. was awesome. That was that was when I was like, yeah. They do a good job of giving you that legendary feel. We were like, raw, and then like a bunch of people just scatter. Oh, it's awesome. That was awesome. But when I was fighting him, and we're both just not doing any damage to each other. Like my armor is so high, and his armor is so high that we're just watching the red bar just slowly die out and i remember having the same complaint with borderlands where all i'm doing is i'm just keeping the reticule on them until they die meanwhile the reason i like mass effect 2 so much is because i played as a sniper and when i shoot someone in the face with a sniper rifle rifle they go down they and lose so it's three, very, they, they lose their armor and their shield they well, don't always go down or they or well okay maybe two hits to kill them but still i think that might be right because i i was melee i've been melee for 60 hours and I am not tired, terribly tired of it. I mean, it's it gets repetitive. But see, I've I'm two-handed, and I kill everything in one to four hits. Yeah, maybe I should go two-handed. That's uh, that's one great thing about <laughs> this game. Oh, oh, shut up, Steve. God, you child. Anywho, uh, it, one great thing about this game though is that you can easily change your character, like. When you join up with the Dark Brotherhood, you get a you know suit of armor that makes you look shadier than Agent Forty Seven at a ball, and you you get like huge pluses to your sneaking and whatnot. You're an assassin. When you join up with the Mages Guild, you get your mage robes and you feel like Harry Potter. The game does a great job of making it easy for your character to transition from you know a melee-based character to a mage to an archery character. That's one of the best parts about the game. But then you also run into the problem of well, now you're not really you're not really making a character so much as you're just deciding what you're going to do for a while. And that's where I, I'm not pro- I probably won't replay Skyrim because. If I want to suddenly become a melee user, I just start using melee weapons with well, my magic based character. But on the other hand, you're kind of ignoring perks doing that, though, because the perks really do True. affect the kind of game you're playing. Like, if you played an archer and you never got some of the archer perks, like, you know, like Sonic uh, Sonic Shot and Eagle Eye, you're kind of missing the point almost. So no, that's true. That's maybe true. maybe we're maybe you're having this combat problem because you did try all those things. Whereas if you said, okay, I'm sticking to bows and I'm not changing, you'd probably get your archery up a lot higher, a lot faster, kill things a lot faster, and have more interesting things to do with that weapon. Because, uh, I, I, I mean, I, my, my magic is – sorry, John, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I like the freedom that Skyrim affords, and I think that it matches well with what you have in the rest of you know, the, the game, what we were talking about with you can go do whatever you want. Well, you can kill off the story question. You're like, you know what? I'm going to be an illusionist. And you're like, and you're an illusionist. You're like, what? Oh, you guys can't see me. I'm I, I'm moving my hands up and down. Uh, okay. On, uh, okay. That doesn't really work on radio, big guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and that that's what's cool about the game. And, and to answer Steven's point, I did go and, and get some of the archery perks, and they did make things better. And what the perks usually do is the perks make combat interesting for like another couple of minutes for me, and then I get bored again. And maybe it's just that I've been playing the game wrong, where I've been playing too many combat-based missions. But I, I think the game's at its best when like you're solving a mystery in town, like you're literally Scooby and the gang following a or blood trail. Rewriting history, or, or you're rewriting history. Those are the awesome parts of Skyrim, and I just feel like the combat is the worst part of the game. And unfortunately, that can also be the biggest part of the game if you let it. Yeah. See, one one thing that I want to to latch on is. I know Rob doesn't like the combat, or, but saying that it's the worst part of the game is 
you know what? Skyrim is a very good game. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, God, yeah. Like, it's like saying, oh, man, the, you know, the worst part of that Maserati is the trunk space. Yeah. You're uh, not really, it's really a comparative statement, not a, a in a, you know, a, yeah. Declarative? Yes. Well, uh, so now let me ask you guys this. Do you like this more than Fallout 3, than Bethesda's last game? I personally do. And I, I, I really. I like... Go ahead, John. I, I like elements of it better than I like Fallout 3 or Fallout New Vegas. Okay, and yeah, I that's like... a better way to put it. You know, it's it's not, you know, despite the fact that these are these are games that Fallout 3 and and you know, you we're going to have Fallout 4 or Fallout whatever running on this engine. I don't think that it's really an apples to apples comparison. Kind of, and it's functional because it is the same game engine, it's the same type of genre. It's the closest thing to an apples to apples comparison that you're going to get, but it doesn't really feel like it when you dig in. Yeah, the nitty gritty is very different. Like Fallout, I actually, you know, when I played Fallout, like in a, in a, in Skyrim, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm enjoying the combat, but I'm not going, man, I can't wait to get into another fight. You know, if I get a new spell, yeah, I'll try it out, but. You know, I'm looking forward to exploring more, seeing more, you know, finding loot and whatnot. Whereas with Fallout, you know, the fights are actually fun. You know, you zoom in with Vats, you shoot a guy in the face, and if you're playing correctly, you have Bloody Mess. So you shoot him, <laughs> and he blows up into six pieces in slow-mo, and you're like, yes! Kyle? And, yeah. Kyle, your For answer? me, Fallout 3 is significantly better in most aspects. But Skyrim is enormously better than Oblivion in every aspect. I would agree. I think it has a much better – I love the Nordic flavor of the game. I love the fact that this feels – it feels like a cohesive world, whereas Oblivion kind of felt like it took place in gingerbread Tolkien land. And it just – it had no character. It was just filled with elves and orcs. Yeah, I, hate I, I hated Cyrodiil, and I, I was not interested in it at all. And then I play Skyrim, and you feel like you're in a place. I mean it's hard not to be impressed when you're walking up a mountain in Skyrim, and the snow is pouring down on you, and you're, you're having trouble seeing, and like you catch a glimpse of like a snow troll or, or something like that. It's hard not to be impressed. And I think Definitely. it's moments like those that people are crazy about the Elder Scrolls for. The sense of place, you mean? Just the little moments. I mean, I think Actually, it's better than the sum of its parts. And Definitely. There are just these moments like seeing the northern lights or what you just described, Rob. And just these little things that really couldn't happen in any other game. And that's why people will love this game. So I, I guess you could argue that it's not the it's not that the game has like the concept of the game has or rather the mechanical execution of the game is about as good as it can be. It's just that the nature of the game that they've built is, you know, that you know the combat feels kind of floaty and you know it can be disconnecty, you know, to some people and you know you can feel like you're not really having an impact because just of how the game is designed rather than, oh, they screwed this up or they screwed that up. I mean, you know, I'm sure they made some development mistakes or whatnot, but. Yeah. Uh, I also think that when 
and, and this is going to sound like a total knock on the game, and I, I really, it's unfortunately that it's going to come out like this, but let me just reiterate that I, I think Skyrim is a very good game. I'm going to keep playing it. I'm really going to enjoy it. It's a phenomenally well-made game. But there's no moment, there's no big moment in this game that is sticking out in my head. It's just like Kyle was saying. It's a collection of little moments and a sense of place, which is... I would argue probably harder to do in a video game to give you a real sense of place and cohesion from that nature. But when I think about some of my favorite video game moments of this generation or last generation, I think of, you know, huge set piece moments or awesome boss battles or really cool situations. I don't think about anything from Oblivion or Skyrim that sticks out of my head except for the little moments. And so I don't think that we're looking at a game that is, you know, going to have an uncharted like, you know, plane, you're hanging out of it, you're in this big set piece, you're fighting a huge demon and you jump on its head and you stab it. It's not going to have any moments like that, but it's the subtler things that are what take you over. And it's the difference between experiencing a big budget Michael Bay movie and sitting down to read a really good, comfortable book and just letting the world wash over you. Real quick, did you use the word? I, I didn't hear you. Did you use the word "good" to describe anything about about Michael Bay? Was that what did you say? Exactly? No, I didn't say anything good about Michael Bay. I was just saying a difference in in what we're looking for. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I got you. Very. Thank you for making sure I didn't say anything exceptionally stupid just now. Uh, but no, it, it, nothing in my head. I honestly can't tell you about any huge thing that I did in Skyrim, but I can tell you about little moments that were fun. Like the time when I had to assassinate someone in an inn and the bastard wouldn't leave his drinking spot surrounded by people. So I had my hide skill good enough that I went into the shadowy corner, pulled out a bow and arrow and shot him in the back of the neck. And everyone was like, good Lord, what happened here? Meanwhile, my shady looking dark elf with like, you know, a dead eye and scars all over his face was like, I didn't see nothing and just walked out. Hmm. That's that's one of those little moments. You know what I miss from Fallout is Abraham Lincoln's hat. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the humor of Fallout. I'll be honest. I miss the humor. Yeah. Fall, the thing is, they did a great job keeping what was good about Fallout and the old ones in the new Fallout. And that's what makes it different from the Elder Scrolls is that Fallout has a lot more of a personality to it. And, you know, it has kind of that biting you know, kind of sarcastic wit to it, whereas the Elder Scrolls is very, very straight-laced fantasy. And I would you know, argue, I would argue, Dragon Age does a really good job of being like tongue-in-cheek at times, and the character interactions are so good. I mean, it's Bioware for God's sake. And I, I almost feel like, I almost feel like Skyrim takes itself a little too seriously at times. I'm not asking for slapstick, but. It, it, I wanted, like, a couple of funny moments, you know, just, like, uh, it, it's such a straight-faced <laughs> world that I can't help but giggle at it on occasion. See, but but I don't those, know. Those, those moments come, and they're, but they're not artificial. They're, and when I say they're not artificial, I mean they're not set in the straight way. Like, this moment here is supposed to be funny. Right. It's funny. Things are funny because they happen in the context of the world. Like the thing that you did with, uh, you know, assassinating a guy from the shadows or any number of stupid things that you yourself can do that become funny because they're a part of your experience with the game, not because they're a part of the game that everyone's going to see. I agree. Like, I had, you know, in the game, you can get into fistfights with people throughout the world. You know, some dude will walk up and be like, oh, I'm a badass. And you're like, no, nah, I am. And then he'll be like, yeah, well, fight me, fists only. And, of course, then you can drink a bunch of potions to make yourself the Hulk. But, 
you know, <laughs> and, and while you're having a brawl, with, I'm having a brawl with this guy, and my follower is going, "Come on, kick his ass! What are you going <laughs> to let him hit you? Come on!" And I yeah, got a real see, kick out of that. In the speaking of the brawls, I had a darkly humorous moment when I was just beating this anthropomorphic lizard woman. <laughs> <laughs> You're beating an Argonian? You hate crime. And she, she she's like the owner of this inn, and I'm just beating her behind the counter. <laughs> and no one really cared. I, mean, I, was, I was like, uh, what? I've actually never gotten into a fist fight in this game. I'm interested now. What the hell happened They're to my really one boring. companion? I had a companion in the game. Like, you get one through the main story arc. I think her name's, like, Lydia or something yeah, like yeah. that. She just disappeared randomly, and I have no idea where she is. She probably died. I had the same problem. See, the thing is, though, I've had my companion, because I'm playing on Master, and I had my companion run in and fight, like, five Master zombies, and she just kept going down to her knees, and then she would get back up after a minute. I don't know that my companion can die, and maybe it's because she's, you know, for the Mages College, and I need her for a quest or something, but... Like, I didn't think your companions could die. I think they, yeah, they can, I'm pretty sure. Well, it's not like, Uh, in Fallout 3, you get dog meat, and then you lose dog meat to, like, the first rad scorpion you find, and you're like, son of a... (laughs) I really like dog meat! Dog meat was awesome. (laughs) Well, I I know that there, as part of the difficulty options in Fallout, part of it is your, I think it is unnormal that your, your companions can't die. Uh, I definitely lost dog meat really yeah. fast. <laughs> your was... companion, I think, too, your companions are a lot more significant in Fallout. Yeah. Like, um, in this one, I have a companion. She's a great mule, and, you know, she's good at, you know, she's a mage, so, of course, I dressed her in heavy armor and gave her a greatsword. Well, but, you know, she doesn't... I don't have her with me going, man, she's really cool. Yeah. Well, I I took one of the quests for the companions, and it, it gave me my shield brother or whatever, and I was like, oh, awesome, that's another guy who can hit things, and I went and did a bunch of other quests. Oh, yeah, it's it's cool to have that. Um, I think we're kind of winding down the conversation real quick. Can, can I just make one quick observation about the PC version? Yeah, Bethesda, that inventory and, like, menu system that you have worked out works real nice on a uh, controller. No, what there, the an, hell there, were there, you guys no, 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 thinking? No, no, no. There is an option in the options for Xbox 360 controls. Yeah. Go in and untick it. Okay. Okay. As I say, I think the controls are awesome. Like I, that's actually what I kept saying in the first couple of hours. I was like, man, this controls so much better. And you know, I spend. So, that's another technical achievement I forgot to point out. You spend so much less time just screwing off in the menu in this one. I'll like, give that. I felt oh, yeah. like in oblivion every five minutes. I was like, oh, gotta go switch to this. Oh, gotta go switch yeah. to the Wabajack. Oh, gotta go switch to this. Same with same with Fallout 3. Okay, so I can turn off the 360 option because I I just ended up plugging in my PlayStation 3 controller and I've just yeah, been playing yeah, it with the controller. I, I, I remember reading it on on Rock Paper Shotgun or one of those other PC blogs that yeah. they were just like, turn this option off. Yeah, because it is awful without it because you end up using WASD to do everything. And it. the only other thing I, I really have a problem with with the inventory system, it's very elegant except when you need to find one specific item and then it's a total <laughs> pain in the ass. It would actually – I was actually hoping that they would add in like a patch, like some sort of search. Like I know it would take you out of the game a little bit. But I mean when I've got alchemy – I've got like 30 alchemy ingredients or plus 30 and I'm looking for one thing. Yeah, and you're scrolling through it, and the alphabetical order is really snooty sometimes, and it, it just it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And the and the worst is when you have a quest item that you like for one of the thieves guild quests, you have to you know pickpocket someone and put something into their person. And I was like, oh was god, what, 
where is that item? And like they need to have like they need to have just like a list of quest items instead of just spreading them all over Hell's Half Acre. Like there should yeah, be like true. a a ro- like magic robes should be an option because I hate having to find my necromancer robes versus my restoration robes. Just call them robes of restoration or robes of necromancy. You know what? So they're all together. That's if all going to be in a they, patch. If they're items that you can craft, you can name them whatever the hell you want. Right, right, right. But like when you get the item, it's just that. I, I know, I know. It's a real anal retentive thing, but it's driving me freaking nuts. I hate screwing around with the menus in this game because usually they're awesome, and then I get really freaking annoyed. Like, I'm. So, uh, does anybody else have a favorites list that's like the size of like a short order menu? Like, I, I have, like, 30 things favorited. The game never tells you that you can assign numerical hotkeys to things in your favorites menu, and that makes me happy. And once I found that out, I significantly changed my favorites list up. Okay. My favorites list has, like, four items in it. I have, like, That's 37, because really I have all my shouts and all my spells just in case. Maybe it's just me being neurotic as a gamer, but I, <laughs> I feel like the system is not really helping me. It's just being a little less cumbersome. See, I think I we'll have, see I have some axe, pretty... axe, shout. And that's it. <laughs> I think we'll see some pretty useful mods in that regard, on the, at least in the PC version. I'm sure there are going to be mods that, you know, change the organization of items and change, you know, the favorites menu or even open a favorites menu up for another hand, you know, or, you know, something of that nature. Because, I mean, that's half of what, you know, was fun with Oblivion and Fallout was getting all the crazy different mods. Yeah, the mods that let you respec your character. I can't wait for that one to come out because I'm like, yeah, all those points I put into uh, one-handed fighting, why don't we just take those out and put those into archery? Because I don't feel like stabbing people anymore. Like, I like I, I started out as a magic user, and uh, I don't know what it was, Stephen, but the magic just stopped doing anything for me. Like, I could not take anything out. And so yeah, I, I don't know how that happens. My magic, I can drop most people with, like, two shots in the face of ice. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I really I, tried two-handed opens, Rob. Uh, well, I'll try something, but I, I want a mod to respec my character a little bit. Because I'll be honest, I have no desire to play this game again. I have a desire to keep playing with my character and keep seeing things. But I have no desire to see the same stuff again, if that makes sense. No, that's how I am too. Like I, keep I have no interest in playing another character. You know, one thing we didn't mention too, uh, the crafting in this one is way better. I got to try it. Like, I actually do like the crafting. I usually don't use crafting systems really i kind of find them annoying but i actually used it i made the best i mean i made stuff that was far better than anything i could ever found yeah and that's the thing is if you follow most of the crafting trees you can build a weapon enchant it and it'll just be totally awesome and it's really rewarding to find magical items now because that's how you learn enchantments you know you find you know you find a, a, a helmet of plus five agility or not agility but a helmet of like you know you can shoot bows better now and then you can disenchant that, and you learn that enchantment, and you can put that on anything. One thing that I loved about enchantments is that my axes are Enchant- powered by bear souls. <laughs> enchantment? Enchantment. Enchantment. So you're right, using all bear souls. Is it time I use, for news? It's like, give me bear souls. And with, with that, it's time for news. <laughs> all right. News. Bears are tough in this game, man. Bears scare me. Not that bad. Except for the first. It's, bear. A, it's okay. Um, bears were pretty easy in. Uh, uh, what's that game that I saw? Amalur. Amalur. Yes. How excited I, should I be? Do really they all excited? make different noises? Uh, can uh, we talked about Amalur on the podcast? Why is that art design bothering me? 
The art design in that game is rad, dude. The art design is great. I don't know why you think it's bad. It looks kind of cartoony. I don't know. It, does... it is. Okay. Maybe I need to see it. I don't know what it is, but like the game trailer's preview, it wasn't in pure high def. It looked a little blurry, but... so maybe that's why. I have been so psyched for that game. You should be excited. Okay, okay. Just the blurry graphics made it... It it honestly looked like a Wii game on those... It doesn't look like that. You've got to watch the high-definition trailer. I've noticed that it has really bad uh, aliasing in screenshots, and it really doesn't when it's in motion. Okay, okay. No, I'm excited for it. Yeah, ever since they announced that, just that team and the ideas they had, oh, man. And then when your preview came out, John, ugh. I just want to play that. Cool. Me All too. Right. All right. Atlas USA is bringing the Game of Thrones RPG to oh, North America. Oh, God. Developed by... We like Atlas. I like Atlas. And you like developer was... I have no faith in a Game of Thrones game. <laughs> it's uh, developed by Cyanide, who previously did the Blood Bowl games. And they made that other Game of Thrones game. Yeah, the uh, the strategy the, uh, one. The Genesis strategy. one that everyone's kind of like, meh. The one that was supposed to be pretty bad? Yeah. I'm good. I love Game of Thrones. I'll just keep reading the. Hey, Martin, get working on Winds of Winter now. If you're somehow listening to this, stop listening to this and start writing. I want more Tyrion, damn it. Dude, you know how long people had to wait for the Dance with Dragons? Yeah, I know. I'm not looking forward to it. He better finish this series before he dies. I- I just want the third uh, book in the uh, Name of the Wind series. Oh, my God. I just read those. Those are so good. Well, apparently, I have something else to read now. Okay. Yes. Pat, Patrick Rothfuss, Name of the Wind. Go read oh, yes. It. Pimp out his book uh, because those books are awesome. Rob's favorite game sequel is getting a collector's edition for North America. Hmm? Final Fantasy thirteen two. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's going to be $80. It's going to come with a four-disc soundtrack and a... 20 page art book which is different than usual because usually they're like here's a bunch of artwork and then here's three tracks from the game yeah it's kind of well i mean hey soundtrack that's kind of a nice collector's how much is the collector's edition 80 bucks 80 bucks so it's such, it's doable. essentially a, it's a 20 dollar soundtrack and this is a a uh, actually our our former soundtracks chief uh patrick bought the full soundtrack from japan and it ended up costing him like way more than the difference between you know, it probably costs about as much as the game. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we'll see. I don't know if I'm going to play 13-2 because I'm probably going to be horribly confused, but what the hell? <laughs> I'll inform you uh, on everything. Oh, goody. <laughs> I definitely, I don't know. I feel like, you know, they're taking a lot of those criticisms that people have with 13 to heart, it seems like. I mean, I'm willing to give it the old college try just because, you know, I don't know. I don't think 13 was 100% beyond saving. It just needed a little more tweaking and, you know, things changed yeah. here and there. And it seems like 13.2 is going to be a lot more open-ended and, you know, in that regard. So. All right. All right. MMO World Star Trek Online is going free to play. Really? It wasn't yes. already? No, no, it wasn't. wasn't. Uh, uh, Cryptic got bought by Perfect World, though, last year. Or was it this year? I don't remember. Um, I'm actually very excited for that. I I really like Star Trek Online, really? and because yeah, what was that? Sorry, good. No, and because I have a real account, I'm sure that I'll get uh, some kind of bonus. Can, can I, w- without sounding like a dick, what what did you like about it? Actually, I was about to ask, like, what's yeah. is it like? like is it, it a World of Warcraft clone or? Yeah, pretty much. It's nothing spectacular. It was something that I enjoyed. Like, it was just because of it. I was a star. I'm a Star Trek fan. Like, uh... it was enjoy- It was not a bad game. I think that's why I enjoyed it. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, there there aren't a whole lot of great Star Trek games. There's the Next Generation on Genesis, and that's all I can. Think I was of. just going to say the, that the game. one. On... <laughs> oh yeah, it was the one on Genesis that was good. That yeah. was pretty. That was a pretty sweet game. That was like some sort of like action adventure half RPG thing going on. Yeah, it, it was. It reminded me of kind of like Pirates. So, to, to, total aside, you know what? They were like, "Oh my God, 24th century pads." You know what? We have that today. <laughs> <laughs> Tee. Uh, North America is getting that fancy ass limited edition Zelda 3DS that's black with the gold trimming. Cool. That's pretty cool. It's going to be $200. It's going to come with the Ocarina of Time 3D. Um, if you want it, um, you will have to go on Black Friday to GameStop. I don't know if it's appeared at any other retailers yet, but that was the app that it originally appeared in. Um, I, I guess I'd be more excited about that if they had like a 3DS Zelda that wasn't Ocarina of Time, because my own prejudice against not liking that game aside, I just wish it was like a, th- you know, a showcase for the 3DS as opposed to you know, a, a really good port of a game that a lot of people yeah. love, but... Well, you know what? They, I don't think there's been a game that's done 3D well on the 3DS, and I've played, you know... No, I haven't played all the games on the 3DS, but, you know, I've played 15 or 20 of them. Yeah, I well, can see that. Uh, we're going to talk about Skyward Sword probably on the next podcast, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I won't have played it because I don't have a Wii, but I love Twilight Princess. I will definitely have played it. Steven, you don't like Twilight Princess, do you? I do not like Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, or Twilight Princess, and I like Wind Waker because it felt like they were being really creative, and then they caved in and just made dark, dark, dark. See, but I, I really like Twilight Princess. I, I really think it plays well, and it, it eliminated the biggest problem from Wind Waker, which was the boring-ass ocean. I like the ocean. I just didn't like the... Uh, uh, Wind Waker was a great game, and I loved the art and everything oh, yeah. about it, but then you get to the end, and it's like, go find 30,000 rupees. Yeah. And I was like, nope, done. Yeah. I'd love Twilight Princess, though. I know you don't like the wolf sections, but I love that game. Well, the wolf sections were like, like, I like, I love the idea of being able to turn into the wolf because that was, that's like, you know, another ability for Link to have that you can use in puzzles and whatnot. But every time you went somewhere, it was like, all right, now you have to run around and do this really annoying platforming section. Yeah. Orbs. They got away from that as the game went on, and then they started to incorporate the wolf stuff into the dungeon design, and I think that's where it got better. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I think I think Twilight Princess was a little hyperbolized, but I really liked that game. Like, But I think what we're seeing right now, and of course we'll talk about it on the next show, is it seems like – Fans are kind of split. They're they're either not happy that the series hasn't really had any huge changes, and that's why they're mad at Skyward Sword, or they think the game has changed too much from the series, and that's why they're mad at Skyward Sword. I don't envy Nintendo. I don't, because their fan base, I'm not a huge Nintendo fan. I'm really not. I like Metroid, and I like, you know, the old classic Zeldas, and I'm really, really feeling pretty good about Skyward Sword. But I don't know if you change anything. Oh, it's not true to the series. But if you don't change anything, it's like, oh, it's just more of the same. Yeah. Oh, well, well, we'll definitely talk about that. More news. Um, Vanguard Bandits, the strategy RPG that takes place in a medieval fantasy setting and you pilot giant mechs is now out on PlayStation Network uh, as a PS1 classic. Did any of you guys play that? I I, I asked if that was any good because I saw it in the store and I never heard of it, but it's working. I'll be honest, I've never played it. Working Designs was a publisher, though, and they published several bad games. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true, but they made them look really cool. They put them it. in really nice boxes. 
that was what working design was good at. You can't tell me you didn't see some games and be like, man, I have to have that. Look at that box. Yeah, I don't know what that game's all about, but I want it. Like Elemental <laughs> Gear Bolt, I was like, cool, an RPG. Then I was like, wait, this is a light gun game. I don't have a light gun. Next. Wah, wah. Um, NIS America has announced Atterrier Maruru. Um, third uh, Arland game, if you like making items and fighting battles. Well then, <laughs> this is the game for you. A glowing endorsement from John McCarroll of RPG. If you like <laughs> gameplay. If you like combat. I'll, I'll be honest, I I can never get anywhere in the Atelier games. They're they're too focused on the alchemy aspect for me. Like I really liked Manichemia, but that was because Manichemia took a lot of the focus off of alchemy and it was like, oh hey, would you like to do cool dungeon stuff? I definitely agree. Like I I always thought I should love those Atelier games and then I was I just get so bored. And then Manichemia was actually like, you know, it's some pretty sweet combat in it too. Yeah. So it's got um things. <laughs> John, you were just filling out the box quotes right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this game has gameplay and this game, other has things. this game has a soundtrack and it actually has some graphics. They are probably 3D but with a 2D touch. Seen some things, uh, man. I, I am probably the worst person to describe this game, and we don't have any of our <laughs> JRPG hardcore folks on, so that's what you have to deal with. If you're a fan of NIS America and Gust, though, that is coming in the spring. More news. Uh, hey, the new story opened. Uh, Bethesda has a, had a very successful launch for the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. In other news, the sun got up this morning. <laughs> uh, seven seven Guys, million copies. Did you hear that Modern Warfare sold a lot? <laughs> Good God. Seven million copies shipped. Holy hell. Uh, within the first 24 hours, there were 280,000 concurrent players at the same time. On just Steam, Oh, yeah, right? I remember that. I was actually playing it on Steam and, like, I saw something pop up on like my like my RSS feed and it was like, yeah, there's a, a whole crap load of people playing Skyrim. And I checked and I was like, oh, my God, there's like two hundred eighty thousand. Oh, that is awesome. I mean, a good job for Bethesda. And, you know, one thing we didn't talk about on the podcast, and this is probably the best thing that you can say about Skyrim. Skyrim is a game that just about anyone can play. Like my girlfriend, I was talking to her about it and she was like. That sounds like a game I'd be into. This is a girl that only likes to play like the Lego Star Wars games, and that's she awesome. <laughs> she is interested in playing Skyrim. I think that that's one of the best things you can say about the game. They have made an accessible, fun RPG without dumbing it down to a ridiculous level. I mean, this this is a game that's going to appeal to people in ways that other games that Steven and I like won't. And that's great. Yeah. See, I didn't mention Dark Souls. Damn it! Do you guys think? Actually, I have a I have a question regarding that, and it's not. I'm not. We're not going to talk about Dark Souls. It's about <laughs> Dark Souls. But no, no, really, really. Please just hear hey. me out here. Okay. With Skyrim, you know, Morrowind came out, and Morrowind, you know, Bethesda wasn't that well known, and you know, I I had never heard of the Elder Scrolls prior to that, and a lot of people played it on Xbox and really enjoyed it, and then Oblivion was even bigger, and now Skyrim is huge. Do you guys see that happening with the you know, the Demon Souls series, like, no, you don't think so, just because of the barrier no. to entry, or no, because I mean, I, 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 no, I think I that we'll have a fairly consistent audience if they continue the series, but I, I can't imagine that one going super mainstream. It won't go super mainstream, but I do think that it's going to carve out and continue to carve out a nice niche for itself. I think that, uh, what, what are they up? They said 1.5 million, yeah. which is 
about what Demon Souls sold in the whole you know run. So that's awesome, and I think it'll continue to sell a little bit more. I think a Dark Souls two will sell a lot, provided they get a little bit better. Uh, right, look, Petrus. Sorry, uh, I th- I think that it will not reach that level, but it will do well. Okay. Yeah, they'll make their money. Good. Moving on. All right, um, Fallout New Vegas All Roads, which is a graphic novel, is now available. Uh, forty eight forty eight pages leads up to the uh, events of New Vegas. And it's two dollars and ninety nine cents. I can uh, wow. have a brief description: walking, 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 gunshot. <laughs> there you <Nice>. go. <laughs> and uh, the one re- news Rob wants to talk about because it's involving his other favorite game somewhat. Uh, Torchlight Two was delayed till sometime next year. Not a good decision, and, guys. And, no, Rob and I totally disagree on this. You know what? the The market is going to be there regardless. You know what, Rob? It's it's like you're like, oh man, I wouldn't buy this if Diablo's out. But you know what? I think a lot of people will. I do have to agree with John on this one. I don't the, think it's it's they not... scratch a very different itch. The price point is totally different. You know, it's not going to tank. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like the game is suddenly going to come out and sell like two units. It's not going to be that bad. It's not like they're going to have to close the company down over it. But if you guys, I think you guys have to acknowledge that which one is going is everyone going to be talking about? Torchlight yeah, but keep 2, in mind, Diablo. Battle, Battlefield Three was huge, but it was nothing compared to Modern Warfare. Yet they still consider that a success, and they and you know they went head to head. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll, just a brief aside, I had never seen a Battlefield Three ad until like just the other day, where they said you know above and beyond the call, and I was like, that is so freaking catty. To put in, oh my! You know what? It's it's That's so cute. No, no, Rob, 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 no, no, no. Like, have you ever looked at ads in the game industry? Like, seriously? Yeah, Sega does what what it's and don't. Exactly. That's what I mean. It was up to those standards. I hadn't seen that in years. You know what I mean? Like, I hadn't seen that level of cattiness since Sega Genesis versus Super Nintendo. No, look no, at any of those no, PlayStation it, Move ads, dude. When the PlayStation Move came out, they ripped into Connect. Okay, no, that's true. That's true. Okay, and, good point. Were, good point. A, a, any game that labeled itself as a Halo killer or, dude, they're like, seriously. Or when Dark Cloud came out and they were like, it's a Zelda for PlayStation. No. Okay. No, all right. All right. All right. I, I still thought it was, I, I don't know. It was funny. But anywho, back to Torchlight 2. No, Torchlight 2 is going to do fine. You know, don't get me wrong. It's no, going to do. Torchlight 2 is going to do well. But I. It, it, no, no, no. You and I have a very different definition of well because you have a definition of a game doing well as it being a blockbuster. I would not argue that. No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. I have a. I have a. When I say a game doing well. I say that it's going to make money for the company, and I think it will make money for the company. Yes, definitely. But is it going to be overshadowed by Diablo 3, and are its sales going to be affected by the release of the biggest dungeon hack in the past that we've been waiting for for a decade? Yeah, it I is. I don't know. Well, you know, I, I truly think the it it's – it's almost like the the iPad Kindle Fire argument is people are going, okay, oh my God, you know what? The Kindle Fire is going to take away from the iPad, or or the iPad's going to going to take away from the Kindle Fire. No, they're totally you know different. What? They're they're different devices, but that are in the same type. Class. And I I yeah, I feel the same way about Torchlight Two and Diablo Three. Is you know what? Diablo Three is your iPad, and Torchlight Two is your Kindle Fire. 
Would you guys be it's saying Would you guys be saying this if we talked about the release of Darksiders alongside a Zelda game? Yes, I would because even though Darksiders and, and Darksiders and Zelda are not similar or they're very similar in in gameplay, they're not similar in design and I don't think they're targeting the same audience. You know what? They're targeting I, the I liked Zelda as a kid, but I want to play something a little a little more edged. I mean, you know, not 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 that I don't want to say that explicitly because people who enjoy Zelda can certainly enjoy Darksiders, but they're similar but different. Okay, okay. No, I mean, I, I think you guys are making a good argument, and I, I wish Runic all the luck in the world. I mean, I really hope Torchlight 2 does well, but I just – I think their time to strike with this title to get the best exposure and to get the best sales was this holiday season. Then again, Diablo 3 could come out in April next year for all we know, so it's not a for sure you know, you're screwed. But I don't know. I just don't think that you want this game going up against Diablo 3. And I think it would have been better served if they hadn't done that. Is the game still going to sell? Yes. Is it still going to make them money? Yes. I think just it, think... think. Think of it this way, though, Rob. Again, Battlefield and Modern Warfare. Do people uh, consider Battlefield a failure? It didn't sell anywhere near as many, and it, I'm sure the sales were affected by Modern Warfare. But it still sold perfectly well for them. Well, and that's true. That's true. The thing is, Runic has... hasn't put ten years into this game. Runic has put a year and a half into this. Right. So if it comes out and it sells five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand copies, you know, because well, Torchlight sold like what half a million, that's a success. And that's I, a great success. Right. But I, I also think that Battlefield, you know, had EA's marketing team behind it and Torchlight 2. Well, well but the, the, those are also very different arguments. You know what? Battlefield 2 still shipped, what, like six million units in its first week? Like Battlefield 3, you mean? Uh, yeah, whatever. OK. Yeah. But uh, but would you put Saints Row 2 up against Grand Theft Auto 4? Would you release those two games within a month of each other? Would you want to do that if you were THQ? Didn't, didn't Saints – wait, I had to check the original Saints Row release date. I thought that came I think, out pretty close to Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Did it? I, I'd be oh, interested did. to see what the numbers were like. But, I, you know, we both – You you guys have a conversation for two minutes. I'll find these numbers, then we should okay. wrap up. Steven, what do you think we should talk – no. <laughs> no. I am not getting in trouble for that, all right? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm still here. I know, we, I know, I know. We love it, and we <laughs> are done discussing it for now. Uh, no, I – I, again, I'm not saying that the game is screwed. I'm not saying that Torchlight 2 is going to sell horribly. I just don't think that that's the game you want to go up against. I think if there was ever a game you wanted to dodge, and you have to think that companies are always thinking about releasing games, what schedule you want to release them, you don't want to release them up against a game that is very similar and everybody's been talking about for 10 years. All right, they didn't go as close up to each other as I thought. They were both released in 2008. Grand Theft Auto was released at the end of April, and Saints Row was released at the beginning of October. Oh, yeah. See, that's a good golf. That's the kind of golf you want. And I think that even just like three months would be enough for to for Torchlight 2. Because then people that maybe didn't get it right well, but, away... But, no, no, but you're also you're, you're saying three months, assuming that, that uh, Blizzard is going to be releasing Diablo in... February. Yeah, yeah, keep in mind, do you think we're going to see Diablo in the same month as Mass Effect? I don't necessarily. I mean, that's a big... That's. I don't think they give a crap when they release Diablo 3. I don't think they give a shoot. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think they care. I think they are of the opinion, this game is going to sell no matter what. This is going to be an evergreen title. I, going see, to I don't know. I really don't... Like, I know from our perspective, because we're huge fans and we've been thinking about it for you know years and years, it's easy to see that. 
But to somebody who's not quite as indoctrinated, they're going to say, oh, man, that's that old hack and slash game that was pretty popular. This is the game I played two years ago, Mass Effect. I was to say, I don't think I think they're cognizant of the fact that there are other games coming out. But I don't think that they're totally saying, oh, our game is going to dominate all. We don't want to we don't care when we release it. I'm fairly certain there's a good amount of thought that goes into when they're going to release that because they still want, you know, they don't want to just, you know, release it and be like, yep, it's going to be successful. Hooray. You know, I'm fairly certain there's a good amount of thought that's going to go into when in its its range of dates Diablo comes out. Well, you know, and and you had StarCraft II come out in the end of July last year. And July is not usually a very strong month for games. You get a push kind of in May and a push in September. Yeah. But there's... There's really not a whole lot that comes out in July, and I think that you know that that's on purpose. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to devote months to StarCraft too. Maybe I, I personally don't think that Blizzard is concerned about Mass Effect Three. I think Mass Effect Three is going. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe that was a bad example. But. I think that they're going to sell to very different audiences. I think that you know, Diablo Three is going to be focused on PC. Mass Effect Three is going to be focused on the consoles, and to a lesser extent, PC. So, you know, I, I just don't think Blizzard really cares. Uh, and maybe maybe that's me giving them, you know, an arrogance pass or whatever, but I don't think they care. I really How don't. What do you think? I'm with Rob. I don't think they would care either. I don't really like Blizzard very much, though, so... <gasps> I <don't... laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'll, I'm no longer friends. <laughs> I, like, I like Blizzard that isn't we necessarily were friends. World of Warcraft yeah, Blizzard. No, that's true. That's true. The second you said but, you didn't like Demon's Souls, we weren't friends. The, looking at, I actually just pulled up a list of games that were released in July of 2010, and like the top games that it went up against were Arkrise, Fantasia, Blaze Blue, Continuum Shift. That's a good game. Death Spank. But was it? I just, played all of that. It cracks me up that I played every single one of those games. But I, I, I think it's also a fact of was, was StarCraft II ready to go or did they hold it? And we don't know. We don't know because they had a very long beta process. I think Diablo 3 is having a much longer beta procedure than I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be relatively quick. That's why I thought it was going to come out this year. But, hey, we'll see. I mean, again, I think Torchlight 2, just to get back to the main point, we can wrap up. I think Torchlight 2 is going to be a fine game. It's not a question about the quality of the game. That's not what I'm talking about. I think it's great that the developers saw, hey, we need a little bit more time for this. Much rather have them delay it than get out the door and have it be broken. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know if you want that game going against Diablo. I I really don't think you do. But I think it's going to sell more copies than uh, than Dungeon Siege 3. Ooh. Really? I, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Uh, you know, I, I I think I agree with that. I think I agree with that. Do, do you think Dungeon Seeds 3 is going to have the Fallout New Vegas effect where everyone forgets about it and then a bunch of DLC comes out and it does? You know, I, it comes... I don't know. I, I don't know. I enjoyed the game, but I don't know. I just I, I love Obsidian so much because God love them. They try. <laughs> I think you have to admit, Dungeon Siege Three was a was a great game, and it was uh, least, no, it wasn't. A it was game. their least buggy game. <laughs> it was their least buggy game, but I was I was still not having a whole lot of fun with it. You played by yourself. It was good for what it was. It was good for what it was, but it could have been more, and it was broken on PC. What else? Okay. Okay. Oh, more news. 
<sighs> Do we have any more news besides the fact no. that Max Payne 3 looks awesome? No. Okay. What? That that Rob's going off on tangents. That means we're done. I think we're That's done. Wait, you guys don't like Max Payne? Well, this is okay, no, 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 no. We're not having this conversation. <laughs> okay. All right. It's an RPG. You play out a role. I'm going to drive to your house. You don't and goodness. murder you in your sleep. Rob. You don't know where I live. My goodness. Well, that seems like a good time to segue into what's coming next. We, Rob and I, uh, earlier in the week, had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Cesar Bittar and Katie Hallahan of Phoenix Online Studios, who up till now were known for The Silver Lining, which is the King's Quest fan game that had a very harrowing development history. Uh, we interviewed them about their new game coming out called Cognition. It's a point-and-click adventure game, um, and it has, you know, Pretty good pedigree behind it, given that Jane Jensen is their story consultant. And for those of you who don't know, uh, she made the Gabriel Knight games and she contributed to King's Quest VI. Uh, so Rob and I had a very good chat with them. So that's actually coming next. So please stay and listen to it. All right. And uh, so thank you for listening to the first part of the podcast. Stay tuned for the interview and look forward to our Skyward Sword uh, discussion. Welcome, everybody, to another RPG fan interview. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Phoenix Online Studios in particular. Uh, we have Cesar Bittar and Katie Hallahan. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, they are behind the King's Quest fan game, The Silver Lining, uh, which just released its fourth episode, which I am currently working on. Um, and here with me today is our usual podcast host, Robert Steinman. So, <laughs> um, So... Uh, we're here to talk about today, uh, they, you've just announced your first commercial game, uh, Cognition. Um, if you want, before we talk about that, um, do you two mind introducing yourselves and maybe we can talk a little bit about you know, your background, how you met um, prior to TSL? Sure. Ladies first, go Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm Katie Hallahan. I'm uh, one of the designers and also the PR director. Um, for myself, uh, i live in Boston, uh, just a little bit of a ways from where Cesar is located, but uh, we're kind of a spread out team. <laughs> and yeah. I am uh, Cesar Ritar and I, you know, I'm the CEO for Phoenix Online. I'm also working as a designer slash producer on Cognition. Um, and yes, I live in California, so it's a little far away from where Kitty is right now. But <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so it, yeah. it's I was actually thinking it's it's very impressive that you guys. I mean, for TSL, it's been such a long time coming. It must have been so difficult to work out, you know, being in such different places because the rest of the team isn't nearby either, is it? No, they're actually all over the world. We have people in Canada, we have people in uh, South America, we have people in Europe. So you know, it it it's been a challenge, especially as a producer, to try to get you know everything going and. And, you know, people not only motivated to work on, on something that is volunteer-based, but also, like, trying to uh, schedule the, the meetings that we have. You know, sometimes we have we need to have meetings at, like, 1 a.m. my time or 5 a.m. somebody else's time. So it, wow. it is really crazy to get, you know, to, to be able to meet in one place at the same time. And also because... 
you know, for the silver lining, we did everything while we were having day jobs. So it, it becomes more of a challenge to try to find a time where nobody's working and everybody's free. And But it's fun. It's been fun. We've, we've managed. That's <laughs> and you guys, you guys are almost at the end, too. So, I mean, that, that must be really exciting just to think of how long it's taken to get here and, you know, how much hard work you guys must have put into this. I mean, it's just I, I'm, I personally I'm happy because I get to play it. Uh, you know, I grew up playing, you know, my dad's copy of King's Quest six and, you know, being pleased when I could solve puzzles that he couldn't figure out. And, you know, for me as a player, it's awesome to be able to, you know, see the fruits of your hard work. But I mean, I can't imagine how proud you guys must be of the work you've done. And considering how much adversity you've come up against in the project. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially episode four, it it's a big, a huge milestone for us because episode four, everything from episode one to episode four was what a, what we have been working on for the past so many years. Um, you know, the whole of the Green Owls was what we've been putting all of our time. Um, and now with episode five, we're moving to like a new engine, new tools, new lands. So that's gonna be fun and refreshing. I'm very excited to see. Yeah. Uh, I won't. Uh, I won't pass to you guys with requests for when it's out, but uh, I do look forward <laughs> to seeing what you guys have at that. <laughs> so now, just to back up a little bit, so um, I think our our listeners and our readers on the site they always like to learn uh, how people get into the games industry, how this sort of thing starts. So if you guys could just tell us like a little bit of your background, like how, how did this project begin, and then how did you two like meet? Because as you're saying that this is a project over multiple people all over the world, so how did it all sort of come together, and you guys decide that you're going to go through and do something like this? Uh, so I should probably start on this one since he was on the team earlier than I was. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, back in wow, <laughs> two thousand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was two thousand. Um, you know, I've 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 always been a fan of CR games, Kings was Kings was games. So after Mass of Eternity, I started looking around for any signs of a Kings was nine coming, and I didn't find anything official, but I did find. Um, a group of fans that were, um, you know, that joined forces and they they wanted to do like a they wanted to do a, a, a continuation to the King's Quest uh, franchise. And at that time, I joined in as a writer. Um, and then, you know, the project was stagnated for uh, a good one or two years uh, before I became the the project manager. Um, and from that point, we started really working towards it, and we did pre-production for a long while until we finally got into into the actual production. Um, but it was all internet-based. It was all the magic of the internet, if you if you want to see it like that. Um, yeah. And 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 you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you can contribute. You can contribute because it is it is all online-based. Um, so how do we meet? It was just applying through, you know, I, I guess that Kitty can, can tell us the story of how you yeah. apply, how you decided to. <laughs> um, for me, uh, after I graduated from college back in uh, 2002, I naturally had no job, so I was living at home with my parents. <laughs> and um, pretty much, you know, I was uh, looking around online. I, I think I dug some old King's Quest games out to, you know, pass the time at some point. And... Um, then I started again, also looking online at various you know searches for King's Quest, or any new games, that sort of thing. And I came across the same group, and they had a position they were looking to fill for a staff writer at the time. So I applied to that, 
and uh, ended up on board working with Cesar on the script and uh, yeah, went from there over the years. <laughs> yeah, we, we finally end up meeting in 2004, like in person mm -hmm. for the uh, the auditions that we held in New York City for the for the actors. So that was fun. And ever since yeah. then, we, we tried to meet every once in a while either in Montreal or when I was, I, I used to live in Albany, New York. So we used to meet there sometimes or, you know, for, for, for reasons when we went to meet at Jane Jensen, I flew to Boston to Katie and then we went to uh, meet her. So it, 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 we're a Thai group. I mean, even though we are all over the world, we try to meet, we try to spend time together. And now, especially that we're going to, you know, we're, we want to do this for real and want to, you know, we've been working hard to, to make this happen as a, as a real company. Um, we, we tried to, to spend as, as most time as we can together. Like sometimes I will fly to right now I'm, I'm fully dedicated to this. So I sometimes we'll fly to uh, Richard Flores houses, who is my co-director in the silver lining and spend like three months over at his place to work together on, on, on our projects. And it's fun. <laughs> All right. Very nice. Now, that seems like a good time to segue into the new project. Uh, you know, <laughs> TSL, you know, great game, but technically we're not allowed to cover it. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about cognition. Um, if you want, uh, I guess my question, my first question is how exactly is there is there a different approach you're taking to cognition than you did for, with TSL since you are, you know, trying to make this a commercial project? You know, it, you're all still in separate places. So, you know, you know, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, what lessons have you learned and, you know, how are you going to be approaching this differently than the way you developed TSL? Um, yeah, we say <laughs> differently. <laughs> I think a lot of yeah. TSL was us learning how to actually make a game because not many people, if any of us on the team, really knew beforehand. Um, so I would expect a much shorter production cycle. We're definitely not looking at 10 years this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing one thing that we definitely learned from TSL is, okay, don't be so ambitious. <laughs> TSL was huge. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I used to be proud about was, oh, we got a 1,500-page uh, uh, design document we have. 80 characters on the game, we have this many uh, environments, and oh then you realize, no, no, that's not the way to go. <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. I, I suppose it would be epic, but I guess if you ever want to finish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's that's basically what we're doing first is, you know, we're, we're keeping in mind the scope of the game, and, and, and because we're a much smaller team than than TSL's uh, team. And so that's that's one of the most important things that we're keeping in mind. The second thing that we're keeping in mind is just create tools that everybody can use, because one of the problems that we had with the development of TSL is that it all basically um lies in the in in the time of of a very few people that can under that can do all the technical stuff that that because we work in torque and it's very outdated so we want we're creating tools right now that make it more universal for anybody to just get in and and, and do stuff in in a friendly way so that that's definitely going to help us with the you know the the timeline and the production of of cognition okay now, um, I thought I heard you mention uh, the team is a little smaller this time. Um, how is most of the team from TSL working on cognition, or is it you know new people or you know a mix? Um, all all the team right now is comprised from people from the Silver Lining, but 
it is it is only a a, a a a very small fraction of the people that were basically the 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 people that were more the the most reliable and and essentially we have a budget right now we have a budget this time so we kind of just keep throwing people in so it's it's dependent on the budget and it's dependent on how re- how reliable and how you know how how well we work during the silver lining. So okay, mm-hmm. um, let me let me throw um, a, a question in real quick. Let's uh, can you give us a little bit of an introduction to cognition? You know, uh, you know what kind of game is it going to be? Um, you know, pretty much you know just a little breakdown for those of our re- listeners that haven't or aren't, aren't familiar with it yet. Yeah. Uh, so it is going to be a point-and-click adventure game, uh, and the uh, as far as the genre, it's kind of that uh, like the supernatural investigator sort of genre. Uh, so our main character, Erica Reed, is an FBI agent in Boston, and uh, she's working on some cases that involve serial killers throughout the course of the game. And kind of what makes her stand out especially is that she has an ability called postcognition, so if she touches an object or a person, then she can see past events that have happened to or around them. So she's using this to help her solve these cases, and she starts encountering clues that seem like they've been left specifically for her because she can do this. Uh, so it's kind of unraveling the mystery of, of what's going on there and, and who's behind this. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Definitely, definitely sounds interesting. Um, now, I, I know some of the fans are are interested to know if Austin Haynes will be providing any of the music for Cognition. Yes, uh, yes. he will. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that everybody has uh, has great things to say with the Silver Lining is that is Austin's music. I, I think that he's an incredible composer. I, you know, I feel so blessed because he gets he basically. We fine-tune to a point where he knows exactly what I want when I ask him for a piece of music. He's like, he's in my head, and and, and he just composes exactly what I'm going for. And, you know, we've been doing this for uh, about five years now, so uh, I wouldn't see anybody else doing the music but him. So that say, I actually am one of the fans uh, of his work. I, <laughs> I have to agree. Some of the music in TSL is absolutely out, just amazing. I... You know, uh, well, all right. I don't want to spoil anything from the game in case <laughs> no one's played it. But yes, uh, we like his work. Um, well, and I think it also adds, yeah. you know, to have a similar composer or a similar art designer. I think that 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 keeps your game uh, coherent with its own universe and with the, its own themes. It's always it's always hard when you know a developer uses one musician for one game and then another one for the next game in that very series. So I think it, it sounds like by doing that, it's going to bring fans from the Silver Lining over to Cognition a little bit easier. Yeah, and and Austin is, uh, I mean, he has the ability to jump from one genre to the next. So, um, you know, with the Silver Lining, we were going for a very uh, orchestral sweeping score. And now for Cognition, we're going to be very piano-based and and electronic, if you you wish, um, score that. And actually, you know, if you go to our Kickstarter page in the updates, that we have the main theme for Cognition that Austin presented to people there. So if you want to hear what what you know have a taste of the music of cognition you can just go there and yeah, and listen to it the, there's actually also a link to go to uh to download a copy of the file too so all right you talk me into it <laughs> <laughs> um actually that leads me to another question because i wasn't familiar with uh what a kickstarter campaign was before you know i read a little bit about it once i saw that you guys were doing one um can you elaborate a little bit on that and you know how, how it's go- that's going to work into the production of the game you know 
a little bit for people who might not be familiar? Yeah. Uh, so basically, Kickstarter is a website where people can um, uh, apply to start uh, doing what they call crowdfunding, which is pretty much like anyone who comes in can donate to something. And uh, Kickstarter's kind of more specifically for creative projects. So they've got a lot of books, uh, independent movies, uh, and among things. Uh, video games is one of the categories. Um, so what people do, they can go go to a, a project's page, find out information about the project, and uh, in exchange for pledging towards uh, the funding goal, they get rewards uh, so long as the funding is successful. So, for example, for ours, we have uh, different levels that give things like pre-orders for the game or copies of the soundtrack, um, some of the things involved getting uh, items that have been signed by Jane Jensen or by the uh, one of our the, the art director from Kaon, um, uh, Romano <laughs> Molinar, and different uh, a bunch of different things. Take a while to list all of them, but uh, it, it's it's pretty fun because you get to kind of you know thank people for for helping support what you're doing, and you know give them a piece of what it is that that they're helping to support as well. So sort of everybody gets to participate in you know making it yeah. happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And especially since with TSL, our fans were so involved in making that happen, it really, you know, it, it felt appropriate to, to not only get them involved in, in helping us make this happen, but also in being able to, to share that experience with them and, and, you know, keep them updated on what's going on and, and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, you guys are collaborating with a, f a few different groups on this. Um, can you talk a little bit? Uh, I know you're working with uh, K-On! Game Studio, and um, your artist from uh, Romano Molinar, I believe. And uh, of course, the, for me, the big one was to hear you guys have Jane Jensen as a story consultant. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the different groups that are involved in this and, you know, how you're all you know, working together to develop the game? Hey, we have Jane Jensen. Sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he loves telling the story. <laughs> I'm excited. I am excited for you guys. That That is just awesome. Um, you know, having uh, you know having Jane Jensen on on the team is is I guess more than a dream come true. Um, when I was a teenager, I would used to play her games, and I would I would wish that I would have one day the opportunity just to meet her and thank her. And you know, just going from that to actually being be working with him uh, with her on a project is just amazing. It's just something that. I mean, as this was happening, as we, as we were talking to her um, and this was, you know, becoming a reality, I had to keep pinching myself like, no, this is, this is happening. This is not possible. <laughs> so uh, maybe, Katie, do you want to tell, uh, you know, tell a story of how we met Jane? And then I'll, I'll talk a bit more about Kayon and Romano. Yeah. Um, so with Jane, uh, I know Cesar sort of hunted down, figuring out a way to contact her um, and, and finally was able to to get in touch with her directly. And, uh, you know, obviously we were big fans and, um, you know, TSL takes place in the uh, in the same location as the, the King's Quest game that she designed, uh, King's Quest VI. And she invited us on the, some of the other directors to come and visit her on her farm, which was uh, awesome last March. <laughs> So, yeah, um, four of us uh, got together and drove on down there and uh, got, to, got to hang out on Jane Jensen's farm and, and see her, see the cows and everything. And uh, <laughs> say they're very they're, they're very down at the farm. When I interviewed them uh, a month or two ago, they actually they were mm -hmm. they, we talked a little bit about that. So they were saying that's their uh, that's their current project. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place, too. I um 
we we posted about it on on the blog on the Phoenix Online site and uh, put up some pictures. And I keep saying if if a if a creepy barn ever shows up in a, in a game that we make, you'll you'll know where the inspiration came from. <laughs> <laughs> they had a great one. <laughs> Cool. Um, so yeah, and we, we talked about a lot of you know possibilities for, for projects and collaboration. She was very impressed with the work that we had done and put into Silver Lining. And um, in the end, uh, various you know opportunities with Kaon came up and everything. This uh, this really gelled as the project that was ideal right now for everyone to uh, to come together on. So we're we're really excited to be working with her. Yeah, that that I, I when you were says when you were saying. You know, you had to pinch yourself. That, that that would be my reaction just to see, you know, <laughs> I'd be like, man, like, this is crazy. So <laughs> I was, you know, we, we were there in that in the farm and we were just talking to her. And, and I was just, you know, I was being the fanboy that I am. And I was just talking, asking her questions <laughs> about Gabriel Knight. And she was just showing us stuff about Gabriel Knight. And, you know, she she's so such a, you know, down to earth woman and she's so nice and so open to talk about and you know she would tell us all the stories about sierra and how sierra was um you know how, how the work was and how the company was and how she misses those days of working at, at at sierra so it was it was it was just an awesome experience to to be able to hear it firsthand from somebody that you know, has worked so hard and, and, and has such a creative mind. And, and basically, you, you you grew up with her stories. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I literally grew up, you know, playing Gabriel Knight, King's Quest Six. you know, and just to, to be able to talk to her about, you know, I mean, a lot of people consider those days, you know, the golden age of adventure games and in big part because of the work she did. So, right. It, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, must have been quite an experience. It was, it was. I, I just, well, you know, when we were driving down the farm, I just like uh, realizing that okay, we're twenty minutes from meeting Jenkins, and we're fifteen minutes from meeting Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> I think so Fez kept referring to the farm as Schloss Ritter. <laughs> so, what kind of dynamic does that create to work with someone that you guys kind of idolize? Like, what, what exactly is she going to be doing on the game? Uh, you know, how do you work with her? You know, I, I guess how big of a footprint can we expect from Jane on uh, Cognition? So she's, um, you know, we we talked about this back and forth for 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 a little while. And like Katie say, I mean, uh, at one point we were gonna be making a game that she was designing, uh, but then you know we we want to start with something smaller right now, and and she agrees. So so this this is a, the 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 best way that we can come together at this point where. You know, as a story consultant, she's basically going to be revising the story. She's going to be revising the game document from every step of the way. Um, as KDSI writes anything, we just send it to her. She gives us direct feedback on that. Um, because one of the things that she she requested that um, that she, if we were going to be using her name was that she had enough that that we would pay for pay her for enough hours so that she would have enough time to make sure that this game was something that could come out under her name. So she's going to be making sure that it is of a, of, of a good quality, essentially, or, or what her standard of quality is. Um, so she's going to, like I said, she's going to be working directly with us with the story, and she's already given us like great feedback and, and great ideas and things that we can implement and that we have already implemented. And then she's going to be playing the game, um, you know, just making sure that everything's looking and feeling right. Um, I would say that although she's is not 
per se her design and she won't be involved in things like, okay, so this is how Erica should look or this is how the screen in particular should look. She is going to be involved enough that you'll feel the stamp of Jane Jensen in this game. Cool. That sounds like it'd be really interesting because, you know, now you have, you guys have pretty much created your own style with TSL. You know, it, 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 you know, it pays homage to the classic games, but I definitely think you guys have taken it and made it your own. So I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what you guys can come up with together. Cause the last time Jane collaborated with somebody, we had King's quest six. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I, I yeah. think, I think it's, it's going to be a great experience. Um, and we also, you know, we also have Kaon, which I, I didn't get to talk about, but what happened with Kaon, because Kaon is uh, this game, the, the idea from this game came from Kaon. They actually had started working on a game that was called, used to be called We Are Darker. Um, and they came to us with this idea and they had already a bunch of art. They already had the character of Erica, Erica Reed created. Um, so they basically came to us. We met at E3. Um, just because uh, one of our one of our directors he owns um, a company in India that does outsourcing for games for art basically uh, art design and uh, 3D and, and everything like that. So he was working with them um, and he introduced it to me and then we you know we started talking about this game that they had. And then I, you know, I took that game and I presented it to the rest of the directors and you know we we started really getting excited about it because it it. You know, it it seemed like Gabriel Knight one. It had that feeling. It had that, you know, comic art feeling, graphic novel kind of feel that Romano Molinar, who works for them, had already, you know, put into it. So there was so much work already done for this game and, and they asked us, Okay, can you can you create a story for it? So we took it, we, we, we started looking at it. Obviously, we changed a lot of things. Um, we, we scrapped the, the story that, that used to exist completely, and we created a brand new game based on those locations that we already had. It was, a, I mean, it is an interesting uh, experience, but I guess not that different from what we did on the Silver Lining, where, you know, we already had the Green Isles and we created our own story for it. Um, but in this case, you know, it is still fully original and, we're, you know, we're adding new screens and new environments and, and all the new story. It, it's Everything is completely new. And now we're going to be developing it completely ourselves, basically, with with the help from Romano and, and some other people from Kaon um, that, you know, are going to be helping us along the way. But it, it's going to be very exciting. It's, it's going to be an exciting project. All right. Well, we talked a lot about the story of it so far. Um, so the art, uh, Romano Molinar, he has... That name sounds familiar. Has is there any other work that you know a listener might be familiar with that you know he's uh, worked on before? Yeah, he's done. Uh, he actually has done work for X Men, um, X Men comics. Um, he, I think, he did one cover of the X Men comics once. He's done Tomb Raider comics. He's done Witchblade. He's done. He's now working with the guys that are doing the Darkness too. Um, oh, so cool. he's been around. Yeah, he's he's definitely been around. He has a lot of experience. He's a great guy to work with. I, you know, I've I've I worked with him a lot when we were making the trailer for Cognition. Um, it was Elisa Pavinato who is one of our um, our concept artists. She's amazing. Um, and you know, she was really excited because she's a she she's a fan of him. So getting the the opportunity to work with him was was really good. So. You know, it was her, uh, Romano, and myself working together to make sure that, you know, we got all the material that we later uh, would give to the, the person that edited all together, Mikhail. Um, 
so it, it, it he's a really cool guy to work with. It it, it was amazing. The energy uh, between the three of us, the energy as as they were creating stuff, it was it was incredible. Cool, cool. So now, uh, is it maybe a little too early to ask you guys what you're thinking about for distributing the game? Are you guys thinking about Steam, Direct to Drive, uh, anything like that? Figuring some of that out, I mean, we definitely want to do a PC and a Mac release, and we're looking at doing, uh, you know, the iPad, iPhone platform to follow that up. And uh, I'm not sure if we've come down definitely as far as, like, what the actual method is. Steam has definitely come up at the very least for uh, Yeah, we've, we've, we've talked about Steam. Ba- basically, essentially, we're going to be putting this game anywhere where we can put it. <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty sounds pretty smart to me peddling your wares <laughs> yeah. everywhere you can well now, it, I know, it there. It, it, I know. <laughs> go ahead rob uh, i was gonna say it's really interesting that you guys said ipad because i know with um ghost trick they released that i think on iphone and ipad as well and uh, you know that seems like a great place to put an adventure game and i i think it's surprising that we haven't seen more of that lately and it, it sounds like the perfect kind of game that would fit with that style of you know gaming on the go and having you know interaction with the environment and that sort of thing yeah for me personally i feel like with ipads and iphones they've kind of like the the early markets for those have been a lot of like the casual games or the quick play games but mm-hmm. I, I do agree i think it's a great platform for uh for doing an adventure game where you can you know save it and come back to it later um for myself i actually played uh broken sword for the first time on my iphone and lucky you it worked great <laughs> the, yeah they actually they've actually been getting i've been seeing a lot of adventure games we um we reviewed hector badge of courage that was pretty cool and then uh there's the sword and sorcery ep game um you know, so it's definitely kind of a, a new frontier for adventure games, and I've always thought it was a great, you know, a great concept because I, you know, I have, um, oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called. It's the, it's essentially the multi-platform emulator on my phone, my Android, that lets you play, you know, the classic LucasArts adventure games. And every time I'm playing it, I'm just like, man, this is the perfect platform for this. You know, yeah, it is. It is. You know, when I was, uh, I, I was with Telltale when they did the first, um, the first launch for an iPad product, which was Simon Max, and then from then they started doing Puzzle Agent and all that stuff. And I think that it is, it is definitely a great platform for for adventure games, just because it's it's basically it's a point and click thing. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's that's what's been the failure of the iPhone and iPad games is people trying to make you know all these Zelda clones or you know old Super Nintendo games, and it just it doesn't work without having a physical controller, but like you said, it, it's you know point and click adventure. It that's the perfect platform for it. Yeah. Somebody please develop King's Quest Six for iPhone. <laughs> if you ask them enough, Stephen, they'll do it for you. Actually, I wanted. Actually, I changed my mind. I want it on Android because I don't own an Apple device. Uh, what is, what anyway. is wrong with you? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I have an iPhone. All but right. Actually, uh, you mentioned Ghost Trick, Rob, and that actually. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about some of your influences for cognition? Uh, just because I personally thought of Ghost Trick right when I, you know, right when I saw it. Just, you know, it's it's not exactly the same, but a little bit similar. And then you guys mentioned Heavy Rain. Uh, nope, so nope, we're not talking about that game. I'm not. Rob, I'm not talking about it. Rob, Rob, <laughs> let them speak. I'm gonna be nice. I'm sorry. My, my thoughts on Heavy Rain, listeners will will know them well. Robert is not a fan of Heavy Rain, but I am. So I'm glad. Guys... It, I'm glad it exists. But I. Okay, moving on. This is their interview. What am I doing here? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, with heavy rain and we, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I listed with heavy rain is just because the, the feeling of that game, the atmosphere of that game is it is the perfect atmosphere for a game like this. And um, I, I personally enjoy heavy rain. I wish that it was more challenging, but I, I did. I did enjoy that game. We also have, you know, obviously Gabriel Knight one is a big influence yeah. <laughs> of you know that that would be one of our biggest influence for for this kind of game um and and really um a tv series like dexter or french um just because oh, cool. they they have that episodic thing especially dexter who has you know who deals with serial killers all the way through uh i, I would quote those as, as big experience uh you know as as a lot of the uh, the influence that we've gotten for the story. Um, as far as gameplay, I like to, um, you know, with the cognition power, for example, what, what we're going to try to do, you, you have different ways to use your your post-cognition power. You have different ways to see into the past. So, for example, something may be as simple as touching something and seeing what relates uh, to the past and that, but sometimes you, you know, you grab an object like a phone and maybe there are too many memories involved with that. So you have to, um, you know, you have to close it down, like, you know, use another item with that so that you pinpoint a specific moment that you're trying to go for as opposed to, you know, all the paths that it could have. So that's one of the ways that, that you can use that power. And then all, other ways is to try to recreate like a full crime scene by by concentrating on, on a few clues that are on the environment that, that you can use to reanimate what happened there. Um, and then other, other, other ways to use it is going into somebody's mind and then helping them remember um, a, a specific detail by, by, you know, clearing like the fussy details that you don't remember about, um, you know, a specific time or a specific place. So, you know, there's, there's going to be different ways to use it. And I think, I, I, you know, I'm really excited to, to, to be implementing all this gameplay because it's really adventure based and, and, and I think that people will, you know, will see this as, as a fresh take on, on the adventure genre. Very interesting. Cool. Um, I guess in terms of more of a nitty-gritty adventure genre question, um, uh, you know, lately we've had games, you know, like Telltale's adventure games, like Back to the Future. Um, you know, I don't know too much about Jurassic Park yet, um, but, uh, you know, their adventure games have been a little more story-based where the puzzles maybe aren't as brain-busting as some of the stuff from King's Quest or Gabriel Knight, um, you know, and, you, can, you know, there's no death and, you know, there, there's relatively little room to be punished. Are you guys going with a, you know, a classic King's Quest, you can die at every turn, you know, kind of adventure or, you know, with really, you know, elaborate puzzles? Or are you going for something a little more story oriented with, with puzzles, but, you know, maybe not necessarily quite as esoteric as some of the things we've seen in the past? Uh, I, I think we're going for something that's more, got some more in-depth puzzles in it um, so far. We haven't really, I think, quite figured out all the ways to die that we could come up with, but uh, I, I think at the very least there will be a few. Okay. Or an FBI agent running around with some serial killers on the loose, so right. there's a chance for death to happen there. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, I mean, we want to make it so that, um, you know, it feels real. Um, you know, in King's Quest and Space Quest, uh, those games, you could die out of anything. <laughs> so, we, you know, we, we want to make it more like, actually, Gabriel Knight. In Gabriel Knight, you couldn't die until, like, until the, I think day seven of ten days, um, when they, when danger was really there, that's when you could die. So um, it makes sense. 
Yeah, and and yeah. and mostly, you know, the 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 puzzles and investigation is very Gabriel Knight based. It 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 it's it relies a lot in in conversation in, in being uh, throw out for you know all the things that you're asking witnesses and and investigating a crime scene and you know just being smart about how to connect things together. Um, uh, we're not, we're not, we're definitely gonna be, you know, if you compare us to like something like Back to the Future, we're not gonna be as easy as that. Um, but we're probably also not gonna be as hard as the old games from, <laughs> you know, the, the 90s that were really brutal in, in how, and, and sometimes very logical in how puzzles were presented. So we're, we're trying to make sense. We're trying to, we, you know, we wanna make you feel smart. We wanna make you, but we don't wanna frustrate the players either. Right. Uh, to a point where they, you know, they'll just drop the game and and have no interest whatsoever in continuing playing it. Well, the, um, you also have the issue where you, you guys are making a game for a very specific crowd, and so if you guys did maybe try to make it a little bit more approachable, you you run that risk of alienating your fans. I think your fans are going to want a game that's in this this vein, and they're they're going to be very specific about what they want, and so you know. You're selling it to an audience that loves, you know, Gabriel Knight, that loves King's Quest. They want to have, you know, the multiple deaths. They want to be on the edge of their seat the whole time. So I think you guys are doing the right thing in, in keeping your fans happy more than anybody else. But on the yeah. other hand, nobody's going to be hunting down golden bridles under bridges, I'm guessing. Probably not. <laughs> exactly. We want to we want to get away from 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 uh, you know from from those very illogical or yeah, yeah. We, want, we want we want the game to make sense to people like you know be challenging to them because there's there's going to be challenges but but also when you when you solve it oh yes that did make sense or, yeah that, yeah. that, that, that well, was sensical can, can i ask a yeah. funny question right now because uh, you know, we're talking about adventure games real quick what is the most illogical uh, puzzle you guys can remember in an adventure game. I'll, I'll, I just want to get the ball rolling first. It's and just give you guys a second to think about it. For me, it's uh, Silent Hill 2, where you have to use a wax doll, a candle, a, a lighter, and a horseshoe to open up a door to like create this makeshift door ha handle. <laughs> Meanwhile, James is carrying around a perfectly good crowbar. <laughs> I'm just I'm just sitting there going, why am I hunting down these random items when I probably could just get through this wooden door fairly easily? <laughs> I think that my example would be Phantasmagoria 2. Um, you, your wallet is behind a couch, <laughs> and you have to send your rat to get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah, the couch nailed the couch. to the ground? <laughs> <laughs> I would guess, because, you know, just move the couch, get your wallet, and that's it. <laughs> oh no, you have to send your rat to get it, and then you have to lure, lure the rat back with a piece of candy. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. He's a pretty well-trained rat, on the other hand, so that's sort of impressive. <laughs> Um, see, for me, I just remember some of the, the really crazy ones from, like, the King's Quest games. I, I think King's Quest V had some, some ones that were kind of out there. Um, the two that always come to mind for me are the, um, the cheese to, uh, activate <laughs> the one machine and using emeralds and honey to capture, uh, a little shoemaking elf at one point. <laughs> To I'm, get out of the dark forest. I'm pleased that you mentioned King's Quest V because I was also going to mention that using a bag of peas to trip up a blue monster. <laughs> oh, gee. I can at least see the kind of the logic in that if they're dried peas. But, okay, um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. 
as a as a young child, I I looked at that and I said, "Peas are squishy. This doesn't make any sense." <laughs> well, you gotta love you gotta love video game logic, and I, I think we have um the the last real big budget adventure game that I can think of is uh, L.A. Noir, and I know that there were there were bits of bits in that game where I was just like, well, how was I supposed to know it was raining last night? And I just remember getting really frustrated because there was this this con- this constant sense of like, I'm not following the video game's logic, and so I'm losing myself in this world. And I, I think when you make an adventure game, there has to be some kind of logical sense to it. It can't be, I need to... Say, I, I think the rat underneath the couch wins. Because that, yeah. that just... <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that would have taken me hours to figure out. And, it, you know, I, I think you see similar things in, you know, Phoenix Wright and, and more modern day. You know, Ghost Trick is a perfect example. Like, I, as much as I really liked that game, there were moments where I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> You know, spilling over the water jug to make the fan move to get across the room. You know, I can't, I can't even remember half of those. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going for those kind of puzzles. Gotcha. <laughs> no, um, no, but still not. death at every turn. <laughs> I like it. Now, now I have, I, I only have two more questions. Uh, my first question is, um, you guys are planning to do this episodic like TSL. Um, are you going, I, I think I saw in the trailer there are four killers. Am I right in assuming there will be four episodes? Yes. You are right. Yes, actually, what you saw there as the as the name of the killers are the names of the episodes. Okay, and uh, now so there will be an overarching plot because somebody is aware that she has this ability that carries through each episode, but also they'll be self-contained in that you know the the mystery at hand is this particular killer. That will be correct as well, um, but but it's all tied up, and I'm, I mean you know I'm not gonna say anything else than other than that, but. Because I will be spoiling the story, of course, but it's all tied up. Okay. Cool. And then um, the, the older King's Quest games, Gabriel Knight and all that, and even TSL, um, there was a little bit of humor, uh, you know, in the writing, in the narrator, uh, particularly in TSL. I, I, had, I was a big fan of the jokes you guys threw in there. I'm pretty sure when I opened uh, episode four a couple of minutes ago or a little while ago, Graham said something about picking something up at Walmart. <laughs> Uh, and he said it so quickly that I, I, I didn't I wasn't sure if I heard it. Uh, can we expect to see uh, maybe not that kind of humor in cognition, but, you know, will it have a little bit of dark humor in there? One thing that um, that Jane talked to me about, uh, you know, recently was that, you know, basically we don't want to alienate people by just being like a, a fool that are on drama. We, we should have some relief moments where, where you know, it, it's not always dark and dark and dark and dark and tension, 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 but also have like moments, you know, or, or characters that can be that, you know, that comic relief. Um, like, you know, for example, in Gabriel Knight, what, that was mostly in the conversation between Gabriel and mostly at a time or Gabriel himself would make a lot of uh, jokes. Um, I don't particularly see Erica being that kind of um, character that Gabriel Knight is. But if we are thinking of, you know, having the other characters playing those roles. And, and Jane was really big on that to make sure that, that we have that comic relief. Um, and obviously it's not going to be like, um, it's not going to be as, as as out there like Kings, like we did with the sort of lining. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... But who knows? I mean, when you know, normally, normally those those uh, those things, like for example, that that joke uh, that you just mentioned, that just came from um, Jason uh, Victor, the guy that plays Graham. He just we didn't write that. He just said it. <laughs> he he just admitted that. So 
we, I, I, when I heard that, I was cracking so, you know, I, I laughed so hard that I said, no, it's got to go into a game. So <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Fair enough. Excellent. Well, uh, we have one final question. Uh, would you like to defer to this one, Rob? Oh, thanks, Stephen. Um, <laughs> so uh, I always like to ask these kind of questions to kind of get a little bit of information from developers and kind of see what you guys are playing. So uh, favorite game, favorite adventure game. And then what's the game you're currently playing right now, and what are you most looking forward to? So four games I'm looking for right now. And I, Gosh, I'll... Rob, that's a difficult question. Well, no, I'd, no. I'd like to ask this stuff. I mean, p- people want to know what developers are playing, you know? Uh, it, you, you like to see what's going through someone's mind with that. So first off, favorite game for both of you? Um, if you say Heavy Rain, I'm kicking you off the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Mine will be Gabriel Knight to the Beast Within. Um, I think for me, and probably this will go obviously cover favorite adventure game too. Um, I really like King's Quest Six. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so now, Cesar, does uh, Gabriel Knight count as your favorite adventure game if it's also your favorite game? Well, okay. So let's say if Gabriel Knight Two wasn't my favorite uh, game, that would probably if, if I had to pick somewhere outside the adventure genre, I would probably go with. Um, wow. So many games. Um, yeah. I don't know. Somewhere, uh, maybe uh, an RPG. Somewhere between, maybe Final Fantasy and Xeno Saga. Um, well, well, which Final Fantasy and which Xeno Saga? <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy Eight or Ten Saga. Rob really likes Final Fantasy. Oh 8. my god! Uh, I I'm, I have a nosebleed right now. Okay. No, I'm okay. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> you have you have no idea how happy you've made him. You guys are pretty much allowed to come on the show anytime now. He's being totally sarcastic <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right, Final Fantasy eight or ten. Um okay. or Saga, right. any any of them. I like I like the whole story with them. Um Beyond Good and Evil. That's a great game. Yeah, um, I still need to play that. We both still need to play that until <laughs> All right, so then uh games and I still haven't gotten around to playing it. <laughs> so now game that you're currently playing and the game that you're most looking forward to right now. I'm actually playing Dark Souls right now. Ooh. Uh, I, I don't love think we're, that game. <laughs> we're not allowed to talk about it anymore. We spent You're not allowed to talk about Dark Souls? What? No. We've, 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 <laughs> Rob and I Rob and I are such big fans of Dark Souls. We've been officially rebuked for speaking about it too often. So <laughs> Oh, I love that game. Uh, Demon's Souls actually is probably my favorite game from the past 5 years. So <laughs> We, I'm saying right now, we did not put Cesar up to this. Okay, <laughs> this was not this was can, not a plot. I can attest to that. He's been talking about Dark Souls for a while now. So. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we can't talk anymore about Dark Souls, even though it's freaking awesome. Uh, but did you so, say Dark Souls? Shut up, Stephen. So, what game are you most looking forward to right now, Cesar? Uh, damn. Cognition. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Uncharted 3. All right, all right. Um, all right. <laughs> not really, but if you had to, if I had to answer, you know, because, you know, there, there's like, I don't know, Batman, Uncharted, Skyrim. I would really be looking for Dreamful Chapters if it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> and Katie, you're not getting off the hook, so. Uh, no, no. Um, I, see, all of my, my games I am 
playing right now are kind of a few years behind since I'm like catching up, but uh, I'm still kind of getting finally getting started on uh, on the first Mass Effect, and uh, I've been enjoying that quite a bit so far. So uh, but, just, uh, just hold out; it get it, two's way better. <laughs> I, I keep hearing I um I've gotten into the Citadel, and then I got overwhelmed by choice, so I'm kind of <laughs> stuck wandering around there right now. And people keep telling me to just leave, and I'm like, but there's so many things to do here. <laughs> You could be yeah, there for I, quite a I while. I still gotta play the second one of that one. I have it there. I bought it like a year ago. It's still wrapped. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting to that point as well. I have this stack of stuff that I'm just I'm like, how am I ever gonna get to that? Yeah, having yeah. a life sucks. I, I wish yeah. I was back in high school and I could just go home and play video games all day. <laughs> so, Katie, what's the game you're most looking forward to right now, besides cognition, of course? Besides cognition. <laughs> TSL um, episode five. Also, that. That's uh, let's see. Um, Oh, you know, actually, I am uh, really looking forward to seeing what Telltale does with um, The Walking Dead because I really I love the the graphic novels for that, and I really like the TV show, so I'm very excited to see that in the video game form. I'm I'm interested for that too. Like I, I think uh, speaking very briefly on Walking Dead, the TV show. I've never read the graphic novel, but like I'm becoming very frustrated with the TV show. I feel like it's kind of spinning its wheels and not going anywhere, and it's it's kind oh. of slowed. It's kind of really slowed down for me, and I, I'm ready for something to happen. Like I, I don't know. Like uh, last night's episode. Uh, where, oh, where, I, I didn't see it yet. I, didn't uh, see I it. won't ruin it. I won't ruin it. But <laughs> okay, it, it was, it was a total tease. It was a total tease. Huh. Like what you think they're gonna do and what they actually did, and that's huh. that's frustrating. And so I think that the, it feels like they're kind of stretching it out. But I, I think an adventure game with the zombies, you know, that that just makes yeah. that just writes itself right there. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. It's um. I, I don't know if you've read the, the graphic novels, but um. Okay. Have yeah, I've, actually, I've actually read a few of them. I, oh, yeah. I was going to tell Rob, it does it does not spin its wheels forever, certainly not. No, it certainly doesn't. It's been interesting to see kind of how they do a few things differently, but they do some things the same. And so there are things that by this point in the graphic novels had already happened, and I'm kind of just sitting there waiting for them to finally happen on screen. You so. wonder what – sometimes I've been I've, – I've asked myself a few times what exactly they're – you know, why they're making these changes. But I guess hopefully it will all pan out in the end. It's not as good as Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly either way. It is. It is kind of a series that takes its time, but I feel like it usually does some very interesting things with the the interpersonal stuff. Yeah, uh, I think I think the interpersonal relationships are good, and I think especially with video games, that's something that we miss out a lot on. And games like Mass Effect are really trying to you know make you care about your your in-game buddies for lack of a yeah. better word and i i think that that's that's something very interesting and i, I want to see more of that develop not to the point of like having friends in a video game outside of world of warcraft <laughs> but like <laughs> no i i just think it's it's really cool to have a connection with these people the way that people have connections with you know like michael corleone and the godfather or something like that are we ever going to get to that point you know i right. I've, I've felt that way with certain characters but not very often I like I like what they're you know I like that Western RPGs are basically borrowing those elements because you know you had the, the the very early Western RPGs where you didn't relate to your characters and then you know the the Japanese RPGs came in with like a big cast of characters that you oh, some sometimes will just fall in love with then that just got stagnated and now Western RPGs are now just borrowing that that you know that you get connected to your to your party and your characters and you really get to know them um, you know I was playing. Dragon Age, and and one of the things that I really, really, really like about Dragon Age was the fact that I just could just sit in in the campfire with with my characters and just sort of talking to them and learning about their life, and and some of them were like 
generally really exciting to you know I, I was looking forward to okay i'm fighting this guy so i can just go back to the campfire and talk totally more to my guys and, and see what what they're up to and, and I, that's I, right i, 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 I really feel that connection yeah yeah I, I would totally agree and i i think that it's interesting to see you're right that the western rpg which used to be about you know open-ended big games like skyrim or oblivion and it's now starting to incorporate more of the character development and drama that we've seen in jrpgs for years it's, it's very interesting it's very interesting yeah. so. well i th i think we've kind of reached the end of our uh questions you guys have fun yeah, we did. Great. Thanks lot. very much. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. You feel free to come by and talk about Dark Souls anytime you want, Cesar. <laughs> but if we say anything else about it, I think we're going to get killed. So. Yeah. John, don't kill us, please. Sorry, John. Um, so, Stephen, I'll let you take us out. Yeah, well, uh, thank you again, guys, for coming on the show. Um, you know, uh, feel free, you know, if you want to come talk again sometime, you know, closer to release or after release. Um, and again, thank you guys for your time. And thank you personally, for all the work you'd put into TSL, because, again, that must have been, well, it was definitely quite a bit of work. So thank you for everything you've done with that. And I'm really excited to see more on Cognition. Uh, for Rob, for myself, for Katie and Cesar, uh, thanks for listening, and good night. Thank you very much. And before, actually, before we go, I, I wanted to mention that, you know, if you want to hear more about Cognition, if you want to find out how to get involved in the Kickstarter campaign, just go to cognitiongame.com. And that will that will give you links to like the Kickstarter campaign and, and the prices that you can get uh, for donating any any kind of money into this project. We're right now at the twenty thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, we have five thousand more to go, but you know any any more money that we get past the twenty five thousand is just gonna get this game to be even better and better. So Excellent. thank you very much, guys, for having us here and have a thank good night. You much, yeah.